Hello, and welcome to this Board Game Life episode number 12, Kickstart My Heart. For today's topics, we cover how people think Kickstarter games should be immune to negative reviews. We cover a couple of the latest new items that interest us, bring out the Gamer's Dozen again, covering what we've been playing. We also go over our first contest how exciting, how exciting. Uh, we also have a really great listener comment and more. Uh, my name is Rob, and with me today, I have, as usual, the best co-host ever, Jeff. <laughs> Crickets? Crickets? <laughs> I was waiting for my name. Hello, everyone. I'll just be the unnamed co-host. <laughs> Mr. Jeff. No, we'll, we'll call you Big Jeff. Okay. I'll be Big Rob, you be Big Jeff. All right. So uh, let's let's get rolling with this thing. So let's go on uh, and cover some of the latest uh, newsworthy things that have caught our eye over the past week or two. Yeah, the first thing I noticed is a little company called, or not so little company called, 38 Studios. Do you know about this, this company? Ever heard it's, of them? It's a little company now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know the news then. Yeah, um, we've been talking about this on uh, this Xbox Life for the past couple of weeks. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Oh, yeah. Well, so uh, Mr. Kurt Schilling of uh, multi-man publishing fame started a little, uh, at least he bankrolled the company that... Uh, Continued on Advanced Squad Leader and uh, you know Panzer Blitz and a couple other titles and you know of course now they've gone on to do many many more things in, uh, in addition to that. Mm-hmm. Well, he had uh, obviously always been a gamer, but in uh, oh in, yeah, in uh, addition to that, um, he was well known for playing EverQuest and uh, being a huge huge fan of MMOs. But like many people who have played through several of them found quite a few flaws in them and felt that as an experienced player (laughs) uh, and someone with some money, perhaps, that he could make a better one. And so he set out to do that to the tune of, uh, you know, well, I mean, I guess you could you could argue he even retired baseball early with that in mind. But, you know, that's more debatable, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, in. Basically, the company has grown to 413 employees, which is quite sizable. Oh, yeah. Uh, or uh, we should say as of a week ago, was 413 employees. And uh, across two locations, uh, Rhode Island and Maryland. And uh, they had brought on, who's the artist? Who's the, the big name artist? I can't, can't name's not coming to mind. He did like Spawn and uh, all oh, that I'm stuff. Sure. Ah. Can't think of his name. Todd McFarlane. Okay. Spawn.com. Yeah, so Todd McFarlane, I mean, he he had signed on. Uh, He's the world-renowned comic book and toy creator, right? And, you know, they basically signed on all all these great art resources. The author, R.A. Salvatore, right? To okay. uh, to write the story because you know this was this wasn't an existing property so they didn't have anything to draw upon like you know Warhammer or Lord of the Rings or anything like that um, so this was from the ground up world created just for the MMO and so forth but you know long story short 
what, how many millions of dollars? Hundreds of millions of dollars? I mean, $30 million of his own money, $75 million in just the most recent loan. There were some state loans involved. Yeah, so that there's was, a bunch uh, of controversy there. Yeah, $75 million from the state of Rhode Island. Right. So you're over $100 million just between his own contributions and the state, not to mention whatever all the initial money was, and they're done. Completely done. All 413 employees laid off. Yep. Yeah, about a week ago, there was an email that went out. Did you hear about that? How everybody got let go? No, I don't, I don't know that I didn't know that. Yeah, there was an email that went out that basically, you know, gave the last 379 employees the boot. And the email is actually online if you're interested in checking it out. There's there's a couple of inter- inter- really interesting sections of it. Well, first of all, everybody was laid off with an email. That's classic. <laughs> right on. Yeah. I, I know another company that might do something like that, but hey, <laughs> I won't go there. So the, the email basically says that these layoffs are non-voluntary and non-disciplinary. This is your official notice of layoff, effective mm. today. And then they give you, uh, or then they gave them a bunch of information like uh, what to do when I'm laid off, <laughs> where to get unemployment <laughs> Ex- expect, insurance. Expect your last paycheck, not so much. <laughs> yeah, Cobra links, so you could go to the Rhode Island uh, state website to find out. Now, what, like, do you, what do you think like a programmer does when they read that email? Do they like finish the line of code they were writing, or? Well, they start writing on a <laughs> on a virus or a Trojan, probably. <laughs> they start copying all the all the good stuff they want to a USB drive or something. I mean, yeah. any, any, but that's, see, that's the, the tragedy in it is to think about how much, you know, uh, art and lore and just all that other stuff was created. That's never going to see the light of day now. I mean, I don't know what they do if there's enough assets there that they sell this off to some other, you know, MMO or, or computer game creator. Maybe it becomes a single player game through somebody else's efforts or I don't know. That's a lot of money, though. A lot of even taxpayer money that was involved. Oh, yeah. And I was really surprised to see this happen to the studio because I remember Kingdoms of Amular, which is their big title. I mean, that thing got quite a bit of press. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it, it sold half of what it needed to Yeah, is what the, uh, the financial statement said. And even then, they kind of only did it, right, because they, they were running so long on the MMO to begin with. I mean, six years, it or something like that, right? The company's been in business, so yeah. Uh, from day one, that was really the point was to publish the same game, and you know, so they've probably gone through graphics requirements change in six years and things like that. So, yeah. um, I remember a game, you know, the 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 other company that had started a game called Vanguard that was supposed to be everything EverQuest Two wasn't. I don't know if you were were you ever much into MMOs? Not too much, no. Well, so in, in a lot of ways, that game sort of achieved those things, but they ultimately kind of ran dry on funds as well, and they so they launched the game. It was it was finished enough to to work. It just there were a lot of empty spots all over the map, okay, uh, and it felt very barren. And the idea was they were going to add content, you know, as it went. Um, but they, what they kind of didn't think about is just how fast people will go through a game, <laughs> and so. Every MMO has that challenge between everything you do either pisses off the hardcore player or pisses off the casual player. And there's almost nothing you can do that makes both groups happy, right? 
And, oh, yeah. and so, but in a lot of ways, the game is driven by the hardcore people because they're the ones always online and they're, you know, and, and so if they fly through all the content and are done and run out and, you know, and move on to other things, then you're, you're kind of left with this group that almost doesn't really care because they're just so casual. Uh, but, it, but anyway, long story short, uh, Vanguard, I think it actually got bought up by Sony or something like that. And so Sony launched the game as part of their sp- I don't even remember the details there, but it ultimately kind of failed. After that, I think I played Warhammer online a little bit, and then I just got out of MMOs altogether. Right. Uh, but this always kind of intrigued me, you know, to see what what somebody you know with a sort of fresh view on things might achieve, especially with the notable resources he had brought in. So I'm kind of disappointed, but. Wondering if, since he is still retired, he might refocus his efforts on the board game world again and, you know, actually show his face around more. Uh, who knows? I mean, certainly the stakes are, are much lower with board games than massively multiplayer online games. Yeah. So, anyway, I found that yeah. kind of neat. So. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, another thing that I saw that was kind of interesting, this uh, came out either yesterday or today, where Martin Wallace, you know, the game designer that we all know and love for all his... Well, uh, we all know. We may not all love, but... Yeah. <laughs> not, okay. that I, not that I don't love him, I'm just, yeah, just exactly. saying. <laughs> well, we don't love him enough to give him the, you know, an award... <laughs> Like, a sp- <laughs> like the uh, Spiel des Jahres. He's done some good stuff, Jahre. some great stuff. He's done some not so great yeah. stuff. So, you know, he's got the, um, oh, what's it called? What's that card game called? I'm having a little mental A few acres here. of snow. A few acres of snow. So he's got that, and then he's got a four-player card game. A few acres of fantasy. S- similar. Uh, to that coming out soon and they just released today that there's going to be a Doctor Who card game by Mr. Martin Wallace. Ah, so he's churning out the IP related stuff now. Yeah. Discworld first, now this. Right. So, you know, I'm a big Doctor Who fan so I'm going to be kind of interested to see what this game turns out. To be like, seems like it's probably going to be a lot, you know, um, on along the simpler lines, probably. Oh, absolutely. But that doesn't make it bad. No. You know, I, I think a lot of his games tend to be a little bit on the drier side. Yeah, so to see him if, doing if you know more I mean? of the thematic stuff. Uh, well, I mean, even his thematic stuff is a little dry. <laughs> it needs a little moisture to it, or something. Who knows? <laughs> So I'm interested to see what this is going to be like. I'll send him a bottle of aloe vera. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> little anakin. And the description from the publisher says, basically, Daleks, Cybermen, Centaurans, the list of threats is endless, and no place in the universe is ever truly safe from danger. A mysterious stranger, a force of nature, who has seen his own planet die, a madman with a box. That is Doctor Who. Hmm. Okay, I'll have to keep an eye out for that one. Yeah, so it looks like uh, they don't they don't give a release date specifically, but it should be, uh, be arriving sometime in August. 
So that's fairly quick. I mean, that's like what? Is that is that his last away? game before he moved to New Zealand? Maybe. Is that legit? I heard. I heard oh yeah, that yeah, absolutely. Place. From his own uh, mouth. Okay. Just curious. On I video. Mean, on video. Um, so I don't. I don't know how more, much more credible you can get than that. <laughs> Did he say why he's moving? I'm just curious. Oh yeah, yeah. He hates them. Uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, there, was a, there was like a rift in his game group, and he just needed to get get like far away. So <laughs> I don't know. I think he did make a comment towards it, but I don't recall. Uh, it's actually a really good video. He kind of goes into a lot of different things about different games and uh, his process for designing what what he likes to play. Um, uh, I didn't I didn't really expect much out of the video, but I actually found it one of the more entertaining videos I've probably seen from any game designer. That, that wasn't long-winded or rambly, but it kind of touched a lot of different topics, but was informative, interesting. So. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I usually like his reviews, not reviews, his uh, interviews. Yeah, this is basically what it was. They're pretty good. It was an interview, but it was a really well um, well done one. So. Yeah, uh, there was an uh, interview, well, I guess uh, a show with him on Garrett's Games and Geekiness. Actually, it was out this week where they were up at Kublacan and he was talking about a few acres of snow and the Halifax hammer mm-hmm. as they were asking him about that. And I thought it was kind of interesting where he said that the reason why it turned out that way is because that's kind of like how, how history happened. And he goes, you know, history itself is rather broken. And that mechanic I guess, if I remember right, was somehow how the British had won. And if they actually did it sooner in real life, <laughs> they would have won sooner. See, that's not the story I heard. Really? I, I heard that he goes around now and he sa- you know, tells people, hey, you want to see the Halifax hammer? He smacks him with a hammer and says, that's the Halifax hammer. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Shut I up about my it. game. <laughs> I already got your money. <laughs> I don't care. He actually did say that in a joking fashion. Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny. Asymmetrical war games are imbalanced by definition. Yes. Now shut up and go away. So that's all I've got. How about you, Jeff? Think you got something else? Well, the only other thing I wanted to talk about was this notion I've seen around now in several different places where... Uh, there's a there's a group of people who who seem to think that Kickstarter games, uh, while especially while they're still up for funding or not, you know, the funding period hasn't ended, should not receive negative reviews. What do you think about that? I think that's crazy talk. Yeah, you know, a review is a review. Well, here's regardless. Well, you know, because hey, maybe the game doesn't see the light of day now. You know, like uh, let's say I. Uh, well, I hate to even say me because you know we'll we'll go with someone more influential like you know Tom Vassell. Uh, of course, he gets paid for them all anyway, so that's not a good example. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wait. Well, I'll come up with somebody. See, Undead Viking doesn't do negative reviews. Uh, well, anyway, we'll just make up a person. So so Gamer X reviews a, a Kickstarter game, gives it just a scathing negative review. I mean, one that I noticed was uh, Ace of Spies, right? Somebody had come on and said, I played this game, Ace of Spies, 
It's a terrible, terrible game. Massive disappointment. You know, I thought it was uh, light as a you know feather, a ticket to ride. You know, is deeper than this. It was just yeah. disappointing on on all levels. Hated the game. You know, blah blah blah. Uh, although, to be fair, he was a he made a better case than my hack of a summary, um, okay. given I don't have it in front of me. But the, the point yeah. being is. Uh, you know, if a, now, you know, 100 people, 500 people will read this and go, oh, of course, well, I'm not going to back the game now. And maybe the game doesn't get backed. And, you know, it's all because of this one review. Is that a problem? That's people reaching. I mean, you know, one review, you know, granted, if it's somebody that is very well known and it gets out everywhere, I mean, it might influence some people. But if, a pe- you know, if people really like a game, they shouldn't be swayed yeah, by that. So, I mean, they're so wishy-washy if they it, do. And here's so now now here's my point is okay you know I, I hate mentioning other reviewers names but I think it makes the point right I mean Tom Vassell nobody's going to argue is probably one of the most okay fine the most influential reviewer right that's why he gets paid to do the Kickstarter previews well so if he so much as implies that he liked the game as well right or he's enthusiastic in tone that's generating you know infinite amounts of additional sales. How, you know why is that okay? What what if what if it isn't that great of a game, right? I mean, what if he did that for you know X Y Z game that didn't turn out to be all that well liked, right? You know, I don't really see a difference, right? So right. it's it's ultimately about people's money and how they choose to spend it. So if somebody didn't like a game, that's one person's opinion. Ideally, I think any good publisher, startup publisher, is going to make the game available to a wide number of people so that it isn't just one person's review or two people or even three people, but now it's a dozen, even two dozen different people, some that got review copies, some that played it at a con, maybe some that are friends, you know, different perspectives. Uh, Any one person, I would hope, isn't going to base their decision on just one comment or one review. Uh, Maybe they skim through one after after reading another you know negative one or whatever and say okay this guy doesn't seem to like it either and you know they look at some you know general numbers or something and but that's probably if they weren't all that interested in it to begin with right as somebody right. that was like super interested in it I don't think is gonna is gonna hear one thing or read one thing and then dismiss it altogether uh, right so yeah it's you know the difference is maybe the the random person that just buys on blind faith oh you know a, a you know Tom Vassell seemed to like it I guess I'll just you know, click buy because I trust him, right? You might not have that, but uh, are you are you really going to have people that just outright cancel uh, in droves, right? And and I think for every one that you do, okay, now, especially depending on the uh, the venue, like say this podcast even here, I'm going to talk about a couple games. Well, just by bringing them up and saying uh, I didn't like them, there's a certain number of people that are going to go out and find out more information about it, and maybe that information leads them to ultimately. ultimately purchase the game right so it's right. kind of like the you know there's no such thing as bad press right bad press is good press and you know, everything mm-hmm. kind of gets the word out or it gets other people looking and and, and reading about it so I, I don't really understand any of that and you know I, the other the other thing i wanted to mention is well I've, I've been contacted by at least one first-time game designer who i mean what what actually happened was they had sent me a preview copy of their Kickstarter game, and and this was a game that had been very successful on Kickstarter. 
but didn't have a whole lot of reviews. And of course, in order to evaluate the game, I have to play it with someone, right? I mean, I can't just, well, unless it's a solitary game, I can't just play it in a corner by myself. Exactly. So one of the persons whom I played it with didn't care for it to an extreme and posted a BGG comment and rated it, you know, as you might do any game. And uh, this was sort of the first negative comment the, that designer had ever received. And he more or less contacted me and that person, well, and several others, in fact, in, in the chain, um, quite upset, uh, even borderline in a rage, you know, because of this negative comment. So uh, that was a little surprising to me, but certainly not unique to that person. I think there's a lot of people that just have really never received criticism before, you know, maybe because of the profession they're in or, or whatever, and they really don't know how to, uh, how to deal with it. And beyond that is just the other simple fact that, you know, that, that part doesn't even bother me so much. I mean, I, I understand the psychology behind people and such, but uh, the thing that shocks me more is that, you know, like that same person and, and others have this notion and, and, and put it in their market materials like their game is for everyone, right? Everybody loves this game. Everybody that's come to our booth loved it. I mean, you're the only one that didn't like it. And uh, now I'm not even talking about this particular game designer. I'm actually even, I think even in that Ace of Spies thread, um, the game designer had replied like that. Like, you know, everybody that came and played it seemed to like it. And we got all all these positive comments. And, you know, why is it that uh, that you're kind of the only one that didn't like it? But really, is there any game that everyone universally likes? Right. I mean, if if I if I said everybody's going to love my game and I and I give that to war gamers and it's a light, you know, euro, what is a war gamer going to think about it? They're they're probably going to hate it. Right? Oh, absolutely. If if uh, if it's a Meritrash and you know and I give it to that serious euro guy, or if it's a party game and I and I you know I give it to. <laughs> Right. Uh, you know, if it's a kid's game and I give it to uh, a couple of, you know, serious gamers with without any kids, I, you know, it's any one game is meant for a certain audience and it's not ever going to be everyone. I mean, with very, very rare exception, I think. So in that way, isn't a negative review or a, or a neutral or at least an enthusiastic review a way for those people who the game wasn't meant for in the first place to figure that out? So that maybe by giving that negative comment or that that uh, critical review, you have a whole. Even if you did turn away 50 people, it's 50 people that were ultimately going to hate the game and go and leave negative comments and leave negative reviews. And so you're in in some way doing a service not just to those people because you're saving them money, but even to the game in general. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's more important to get people's money than to make sure people have a game that they like. <laughs> So, right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think it's uh, everybody, everybody makes the decision for themselves. People weigh different things. And, you know, there are going to be people that people that don't like your game, no matter what game it is, you know, no matter what movie it is, no matter what book it is, no matter what food it is. Right. I mean, some people and and even more to the point, I mean, think about food. Uh, you know, I think about some, you know, sushi. I, I don't like sushi. What's the matter with you? I know. See, but that's the point. It doesn't matter if the best sushi chef in the world were to sit in front of me and and make it just for me. I don't like it. So it, it's an acquired taste, right? So, like so 
you know, it, it, to, to sort of force it upon me is only going to have me leave a negative, you know, comment or a negative review of that. Better that that I, you know, I find out, oh, this particular restaurant's only sushi or, you know, this dish is sushi based. And so I just avoid it altogether. And those who are interested in that, you know, pursue that. You know, that's that's kind of how I see it, right? I mean, it's oh, yeah. you, you got to be a little more honest, I think, about what your game is targeted to, what audience, and who may like it, who may not. And reviewers help determine that further and say, okay, you know, the, I, I didn't like it because of this, or I didn't like it because of that, and maybe I think this type of gamer might like it where I didn't. Or, you know, the, you know again, those that share in these likes and dislikes of mine aren't going to like it. And that's useful information for you know those that choose not to buy it but helpful to the game i think in the same way and probably um in many cases also helps people that were on the fence decide they do want to buy it like, okay those things you didn't like about it are things i love in games so i actually as negative as you're sounding i'm gonna go ahead and buy it now that's uh, happened to me on many many occasions where i read the negative reviews and go this is there's nothing to this you know this is none of this matters whatsoever for me so if that's the worst this game is, then I absolutely want it. Yeah, I mean, what a lot of people maybe unconsciously do with reviews is they use a review to kind of bump themselves to exactly to to think that a game that they like is actually worth liking. It's kind of like patting yourself on the shoulder right. for making a good. You just choice. wanted that excuse to buy it, and you just need somebody to tell you it's okay. It's really cool. It's really great. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was I'm I'm hovering over the you know the the back you know um, this project button anyway, and I, I just or, or the opposite, right? I don't really want this. It's not really my thing. I just needed somebody to tell me now pass on this one, so I did. Yeah, right. And then you know then there was the ones that were, you know we're going to back it or not back it anyway, and and then then everyone else is made, is truly in the category maybe never even heard of it, so like it or hate it. Now they go check it out and make a decision on on their own. So I I don't know that it really matters one way or the other or that it's any really different that it's a Kickstarter game. You know, if it, in these days if a game doesn't make its goal by 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 one person, it, it probably shouldn't have been published anyway, right? Or they probably should relaunch it. Yeah. Um, which many a game has done. You know, the Actually, ones that make it tend to go way way over, and I'm sure a couple of people that you know didn't buy it. If they weren't offset by ones who did, you know, it didn't make the difference anyway. Didn't that Ace of Ace of Spies games get relaunched or something? Or it got yeah, pulled? yeah, it did because they kind of the way I understood it is they wanted to make you know f- uh, no extra cost for international shipping, but of course uh, you know were flooded with people taking advantage of that, and they kind of looked at it again and saw they weren't going to be profitable. So I guess the irony in that is though that's you know from the game, guys who supposedly were telling you how to do Kickstarter. So Yeah, yeah uh, it's true. You know, and then that. and then they kinda you know flubbed their own, you know, hey, hey, hey at least they weren't too proud to to admit the mistake and, and um you know they, they they redid it before it was gonna be a problem for everyone. So Absolutely. But it also it also shows I mean I think they spent a lot of money on that video they had produced and maybe uh too much so and, and in fact to uh to be fully honest, at the time I, I watched it, there was very little information on gameplay itself. It was just all this uh, acting video, and I really didn't see anything that interested me. I, I mean, I'm not going to buy a game based on some little movie. 
I want to know what the game itself is about and what playing it is like. So, so I've, I haven't even been back. I haven't clicked back since. Uh, so I think it was a mistake. You know, and then I've said similar about a game that I did back, which was the Battle of the Bulge game, for, which now was successfully funded, where, yeah, they have all these backers for the iPad version, but this board game version that was $150, there's not so much as a single mock-up screenshot or, you know, I think even a list of components. I, I don't know what I'd even be getting for that money, so why would I back at that level? It makes no sense. Yeah, that makes no sense. Okay. And uh, one other thing I wanted to mention real quick was that uh, uh, Geek and Sundry had released the number four episode of Tabletop, the Will Wheaton Spectacular. This one covered Ticket to Ride, and it had uh, Will Wheaton, Colin Ferguson, Ann Wheaton, which is Will's wife, and Amy Dallin. And I've got to say, I watched this thing, I, I gave it another shot, and it was entertaining. Uh, they covered Ticket to Ride, and it was a good time. I mean, it was a game that wasn't you know, too fancy, wasn't really uh, complicated or anything, and it was just interesting. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and his wife slammed her her uh, hands down on the table at the end, and <laughs> yeah, she did. All the pieces went flying. Cause did you watch it? I, I saw parts, bits and pieces of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was actually really well done. The the one I enjoyed more was the the one before that with when they went over three different games because again I I like more games covered instead oh, yeah. of you know just watching somebody play a game. Yeah, I didn't watch that one. Now I know that one had Get Bit. Suro and something else. Uh, I forgot what the darn, third I one should, was. Yeah, I should know it, but I can't. I can't. Oh, uh, Zombie Dice. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, just because there were three quick games and it was kind of nice in 30 minutes or whatever, there's one, two, three, you know, and, and uh, then I could get a little more into the different antics of the, you know, people. Oh, yeah. Whereas, you know, I, again, you know, I've played Ticket to Ride so many times myself, I, I don't know. I really need to watch others, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm enjoying the show more than I thought I would. Um, it, it's it's delivered in a different way than other review shows and other learn how to play shows, and it, it really does play out more like a reality TV show. So I kind of find that interesting. I mean, certainly more than watching like The Bachelor or whatever. So yeah, <laughs> uh, more on topic or Bachelorette. I, I don't know. I, I guess I. Now. You know, here, I don't know, maybe maybe this is, maybe I should do this on YouTube, but I, I would almost like to see, you know, it done that way, like where you bring on, uh, you know, maybe we all submit videos and, you know, 10 gamers get on for season two and it's the same gamers throughout, you know, maybe there's a process of elimination or, uh, you know, there's some kind of metagame amongst the games, right? And it's played out like a reality TV show and, you know, the, the winner comes away at the end with, you know, uh, $100. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Whatever the the show's budget would be, uh, I, I doubt it's going to be uh, fifty thousand or a hundred thousand or a million. You, you win a copy of Monopoly. Yeah, there you go. But, um, but yeah, you know, maybe something again to tie the shows together. Where now, you know, that I, I still don't know quite what they're going for. You know, where is it? I, I'm guessing it's the idea is to just get YouTube hits, and so they get the money from the YouTube count. You know, as a as a as a partner. Um, and, you know, and that that's really the motivation. So, you know, perhaps, but 
I don't know. I, I worry about the long-term viability of the show, you know, that they kind of run out of light enough games that, that he can get other celebs to play. And at some point he has to come up with something a little bit different to, to avoid getting into heavier games or Ameritrash games or something like that, that you just can't get some random celebrity to sit down and play for the first time. Oh yeah. Well, one thing that's interesting about YouTube and, and, you know, similar services is that there's a big push to make original programming to come out on the services. And there's actually some money that gets kicked your way to yeah, do that. Yeah. Outside of the actual clicks, the, you know, the ad, ad money, maybe, uh, well, there you go. So maybe we should make that show. It'll be, uh, uh, you know, the board game version of big brother will, uh, lock people in a, in a house for, uh, 90 days. Nothing but board games and see who comes out of it. The, <laughs> the person that <laughs> whose nose doesn't work. And that's the one who comes out of there. Whoa. Whoa. Who said that? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you, no, we weren't talking about Gen Con. Yeah. Uh, hit the board gamers dozen or okay. so or so yeah i think we're slightly over that this yeah. week by one or two games but I, I still like that name though so we'll go with that okay so here we go uh first game zularetto Spiel, otherwise known or maybe soon to be known if it ever gets published in english as zularetto the dice game yes so this is a game that I like quite a bit. In fact, I first played it on Yucata, which is uh, kind of different for me, because normally I, I go to Yucata after I already have the physical copy. And there's got to be at least one or two games I've played first on there, but um, nothing in recent times. So so this one showed up there. Uh, you know, I'm a, a pretty big fan of Zularetto and Aquaretto. I mean, I haven't played either one of those in a couple of years. It was more They're more you know family-oriented and such. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Coloretto, I enjoy, you know, quite a bit. I think we talked about it a couple episodes back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly, you know, this seemed like a game I didn't need to play, own, or even try, right? I mean, okay, another Zularetto game It's going to be the same thing. I mean, it even looks kind of like the same thing. Can't be any good, right? Well, I'm shocked at how much I like this game. Really? Really. I uh, I mean, even just looking at Yucata, I mean, most of the games when I play initially, I'll play it, you know, even the ones I rave about, I'll play, you know, six times or something and, uh, you know, maybe maybe a dozen times. And I don't, I don't think I, I'll, I'll, I don't know that. Well, this is kind of along the lines of can't stop, right, in terms of a much better game than that. Um, but one that I think I could pretty much have a game going all of the time and, and uh, thoroughly enjoy playing it. It plays pretty fast. And that's the beauty of it. Uh, I mean, this is a game, I played it, I've got the physical copy now, played it with my wife, I think just last night, and we finished, I mean, as a two-player, we finished the game in 10 minutes, you know, first time. Yeah, that's about right. Maybe 15 for a long game. So, here's what it is, and I'll actually run through the rules, so you get a sense for why I like the game so much, and then we can, we'll talk about it further, but, so really what it it comes with is a, a bunch of dice, 10 dice, 
six different sides. There's an animal on five sides, different animal on, on each of the five sides, and then money on the sixth side. So on your on your turn, you uh, you roll two dice, and uh, you might get a an alligator and a monkey, right? You then place them on one or more of the trucks. So you know, for purposes of this description, we'll talk. We'll consider we're playing a two-player game. There's going to be three trucks, one more than than the two players. Uh, they each have three spots. So you can put them on the same truck. You can put them on different trucks. And I'll talk about why it matters later. And basically, then for the next player's turn, they can either roll two more dice and add them to trucks or start a new truck if the you know on the third truck, or they can take a truck. If they take a truck, then they're out for that round. Okay. So like again, with with six players, they'll uh, or I'm sorry, with two players, there'll be six dice. So if um, if you place those initial two dice together and someone takes them, then you'll have four dice total to roll and arrange any way you want and basically get to pick from that. And that's sort of the trade-off, right? So do I do right. I take something that's really enticing right away um, and risk that the other person gets their choice of even more stuff, or do I wait to see everything? Um, there's a, a nice uh, decision factor there. Okay, now on your player sheet, there's basically a row of these animals, and each animal, the maximum that you can have, or the, the number that you need to have to, say, sort of score the bonus points, increases. So with crocodiles, you only need one. So if you if you take one crocodile, you score one point. Um, if you're the first one to score that one point, you score a bonus point for having filled that enclosure, we'll say, in Zulorado terms. Uh, you know, monkeys, it's three, moving up to lines where it's five. Each of... Each of the animals, once you're the first person to get the, 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 you know, the enclosure full, whether it's one, two, three, or four, you get one bonus point. With lions, because there's five needed, you get two bonus points. Um, so the, uh, the interesting trade-off there, though, is once it's full, you can't fit any more lions. You can't fit any more elephants or whatever it was. Now, if you take a die that's that animal, it has to go in the barn, and you score negative two points. But you only score negative two points regardless of how many extra ones you have. So the the problem there is, again, this nice dilemma between, okay, I want to be the first to get all the elephants because, well, A, I score four points by taking four elephants over time. But B, I'm getting that one extra bonus point. And this is a game that's very much won and lost by one or two points, right? But if I do that and I, you know, I race and, and I get that, now any other elephants that I come up I can't take. I can't take trucks with elephants because I'm going to get negative two points. And so what you do as the other players, you use that to your advantage. So when you roll, you roll, uh, you know, a lion and an elephant, and you go ahead and you put those two together on a truck because you go, yeah, I, mean, I know he wants a lion, but he can't take it because he's going to get negative two points for that extra elephant that's on the same truck. He has nothing to do with it. And you, you kind of manipulate this to favor you, right? Or the opposite, you try to entice him with stuff you don't want. Um, to try to fill a truck with stuff you do want. And now in addition to that, there's the money side that I mentioned where if you collect three money, it's one point. So it takes uh, a lot longer to make points off of money. Uh, once you have the, the three of them and you score one point, then it only takes two more to score another point, and then it only takes one more to score the third point. But in addition to that, you can use, you can forego any of those three points to cancel out uh, a negative animal. So um, if I had all three sets of those coins, which would be six total coins, then I can overcome three types of animals that I have extras of. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a lot, but um, that's basically all the rules in the game. Now, 
again, besides the dilemmas I already mentioned, are the fact that sometimes it even makes sense to take negative points, right? I mean, especially in a two-player game. And this is one of the things I like about the game is that the two-player game, you know, it's it's very analytical because you can calculate the scores. So the other player, there's a little bit of a bluffing aspect, right, where they go, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stack this up because this will score you negative points. And, you know, I don't think you'll take it because nobody wants to take negative points. But you look at that and you go, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to score negative two points for that elephant. But, you know, I'm going to score a point for the lion. I'm going to score maybe a point for the monkey. And that's zero points uh, total. Uh, But if I let you take it, you were going to score three points or four points off of that. And the next best thing I was only going to score one point on. So that's going to be, you know, a difference of three. So I'll go ahead and take this thing that scores me zero because now you only take the one that scores one point. The delta between us is now one point instead of you know three, so it actually makes sense to take the worst thing if 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 you're following. What do you think, Rob? What was your question? <laughs> I mean, do you, do you see some of that strategy in the game, or I mean, you know the the those kind of dilemmas that I'm talking about, or or is it more when you've played where it's you know roll the dice, it's you kind of put them wherever, and you know you take what you take. I haven't played a whole lot of games of this, maybe just three, four games. And I definitely see how there's a lot to think about with this game, even like with Colorado, even, you know, with the Colorado card game. There's a lot of, you know, thinking like, you know, okay, where do I want to put this card? You know, where do I want to put this card? You know, what do I want this person to have? You know, I know they're going to go for it, et cetera. And the whole set up with the game is really interesting in how simple the game is and how thinky it is for the lack of a, of a better term. And I, I totally agree with you where there, there's so much to this game. I don't know if I would call it a bluffing aspect, but it, it's a heck of a lot of fun. Well, well there's, yeah, I mean, it may be a bit of a stretch to say bluffing, but uh, but but really the point is, uh, I mean, it's especially effective against newer players. But where where you stack up something that looks enticing, maybe we'll call it enticement, right? Not right. bluffing, but you know, I'm trying to entice them to take this. You know, it almost looks like I made a mistake, but the mistake is intentional. And then the the sort of gambling element to that is, like, okay, it's it's at a point in the game where I think I'll gamble that if if I entice them and they take this that my odds of getting something better are greater with the four remaining dice and uh and and therefore it'll work out for me if they take this or in other words there's really a lot more control than it would seem for a dice game right i mean yes you're rolling mm-hmm. dice there's a little randomness to it i wouldn't say that there aren't times between equally skilled players where it could come down to the die roll to, to sway victory, but I would say with with no doubt whatsoever, if you were to play two out of three games, the better player would just about always win, you know, barring just really, really brutal luck, uh, would just about always win. And, and I think that's reflected with the, the people I've observed online in my own plays. I've basically won the majority of my games, you know, once I learned it, you know, say past the first four. I, I'm, I've actually never lost one with more than two players. I've never lost one against a first or second time player, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and I've won more than I've lost against um, more experienced players. So, 
it, and it's and it's it's generally satisfying when I lose. Like when I lose, I've got to a point with this game where I, I understand why I lost. And a lot of it comes down to the tiebreaker's money. And this was some a way I wasn't playing initially, where I was I was a little more focused on the points and the point delta. And sometimes it it really does make more sense to actually go for the money, even though it's scoring less points right now. Right. Ultimately, when you take that extra animal and score the negative points, this offsets it and gets you that point back right. and turns into the tiebreaker. So you're really getting more than you think you're getting by taking that sometimes in a, in a split. And and that is, it's kind of observed that with some of the uh, the, the more skilled players who had beat, beaten me. So. so, yeah, I mean, definitely more than one way to play it, different different strategies, but very quick, very simple. Uh, even even through Yukata, it's pretty quick to play. It goes back and forth um, pretty fast. Uh, but certainly with a physical copy is is uh, you know fast. And I'd been looking for some more filler games, and so this this really caught my eye. And I'm really happy that you know both my wife and I enjoy it so much. So amongst the many reasons why we've decided upon this game is one of our first. Shall we say it? Sure. Well, you do the honors, Rob. Okay. This board game life is proud to announce its first contest (laughs) and you heard it here first on episode number 12 so with this contest we're going to give away two import copies of Zularetto Werfelspiel also known as or potentially known as Zularetto the dice game so it's going to be two copies to enter the contest you first of all must be a member of this board game life's uh, guild on BGG Check out our website's contact us page for the link. And I believe we can also put that in our uh, little show notes. Yep. For, and oh. and once you're joined up, then that'll be good for all future contests too. So Absolutely. Uh, just so we can hunt you down if we uh, can't seem to remember who won or need to get some details for you or a way to contact you. Exactly. So you must be a member of uh, our guild on BGG. And we will have two drawings. So to enter both of the drawings, uh, drawings one and two, leave a voicemail at 754-444-8245. That winds up being 754-444-TBGL. Or send us an MP3 recording of yourself. Uh, For a single entry into drawing number one, send us an email at contact at thisboardgamelife.com. Now, some ideas of what to send in for either of those are send us some comments on our show, uh, your opposing view to anything we've rendered our opinion on, thoughts on a game you've recently played, a board game-related rant, a request uh, for us to review or comment uh, on a specific game. Yeah, whatever else you can come up with. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be limited to uh, what we just mentioned here. So send us uh, the information, and may the best gamer win. Right, and I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Jeff and Rob from This Board Game Life. (laughs) And notice they are imported. Yeah. We went to great lengths to give you, our trusted listeners, a good gaming time. Yes, we did directly import them from Deutschland. (laughs) 
Okay, so continuing on, we got a couple Kickstarter games I'm going to talk about. The uh, the first of which is a, a a game that's currently on Kickstarter, and uh, it hasn't and it hasn't finished its funding yet, but is still um, funded to a point where it's it's going to happen. A game called Ground Floor from uh, Tasty Minstrel Games. And now this is a game I've played three times now, and I played it once with uh, before I made my own copy. But fortunately, they've uh, they've you know put a print and play version up there so that you can download and, and make your own copy of the game and see what you think about it. And uh, I did like it enough on my first play. I had played it with six with some gaming buddies of mine, and uh, they you know they had made a version. So I came came back and you know immediately knew I, I wanted to you know try it some more. Yeah. So, uh, so I actually made my own copy of the game, and I, I, I you know, I, I actually mounted my board on, a, you know, heavy chipboard, and I uh, like double side printed my cards, and and I don't know what kind of possessed me to spend more time on the quality of the components than I normally would with print and play, but for some reason I was possessed too. So I even even bound the rules and and duplex printed them, and <laughs> just crazy other things to uh, to make a really nice copy of the game. So, uh, I'd also played it with uh, two. I kind of played it with the extremes, and then um, you know a third time with uh, with three. So you know here's here's the thing about the game. So you know much about this one, Rob? Or I've seen the ads for it. Other than that, I never. Well, really so had it. yeah, I mean, so the basics are you're you're getting in on the ground floor of a you know we'll call it a corporate uh, how clever startup, yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe uh, kind of a dry theme to begin with, or at least a not f- so fun one for any of us in the corporate world to begin with. <laughs> but, you know, hey, uh, I, I can't say I know a, a lot of games with that exact theming. I mean, you've got, you know, usually they're more money-oriented um, right. than this one is, although this one certainly has money in it as well. So... You know, I mean, I don't know. I, I tend to like to get to the point quick with these, you know, mini discussions or reviews. So I will say that upon further plays, it, it didn't hold up at all to what the initial play showed me. And in fact, I mean, playing it the first time, I had had concerns and most of them were validated upon further plays. Really, one of the biggest problems was game length. The, it was Basically, uh, when we played with six, it was something like five hours, start to finish. Which for I mean, what's essentially wow. a hero game is really, really long. And I mean, these weren't you know new game players, or I mean, obviously new to the game. But you know, and I mean, yeah, there was some rules lookups and you know explanations and such. But I mean, even if you gave back an hour and said, okay, it'll be four hours, you know, uh, with six players, that's still really long for what it was. Uh, and, and I didn't really feel like anybody was particularly analysis paralysis prone either, uh, you know, in the group, just in general, or especially with this game. And I think one of the primary contributors for that is one of what you would consider to be the innovative mechanics in the game, which is that each employee is three cubes. And so, you know, you're, you're really like there's this representation of time. And if you think about those cubes as like your worker placements, so if you have you know, six players and, uh, you know, with the number of employees that are in the game, that basically could be 50 or 60 individual cubes to place. And you only place one and it goes around like that. So it's not like you place all of yours on your turn and then it goes to the next player. 
you place a single cube or a single set of cubes if the action should happen to take more than one. But there's a lot of actions that only take one. So, you know, if everybody had the full consortium of, of employees and, you know, and it's six players, I mean, it literally could be 50, 60 individual turns, uh, you know. And again, if you go with, let's take two cubes on average and half as many, well, that's still 30 turns, right, for that, you know, over nine rounds, which is okay. 200 and so, you know. I mean, there's a reason why worker placement games only have, you know, five workers, right, or something like that. I mean, so yes, this is neat. It's innovative. I haven't really seen it done before, but that doesn't make it a good thing. It doesn't make it to... <laughs> To, to use the old analogy, right? It's kind of the war game one, right? Where you have the you have the tactical battle, right? And, and people want to go, oh, let me play the operational level, and let me play the grand strategy level, and you know, then we when we get to this battle, we can zoom in on this sub game, and then zoom in on that sub, you know. And there's a reason why that's not considered streamlined, right? There's sometimes things are excessive, sometimes things don't work well, and, you know, need to be um, streamlined. And I think this is one where I don't know that that level of added abstraction was necessary that that we needed all these different cubes um, to place so i think that's one of the reasons why the game runs so long and maybe it's real you know we'll call it fatal flaw i did go back and forth on some other points during the first game that again is is probably my other second biggest reason for for disliking the game and that's the way that the points are scored um, which is you know, primarily really tallied at the end of the game. What I what I found is there's very little variance in what the score is. And for a game that's so long, to to come down to so little variance in the score, it didn't feel like there was the control that there should be for a game of uh, you know that that was going to be that tight. Uh, you know, for instance, there's a limited quantity of certain. Uh, of these floors that ultimately score you points. And through really, you know, what seems like little fault of my own, if you take this one that I needed to score, then that's the, the two points that I lost by right there, right? So I've I've played for three or four hours. I really just need this last piece that scores then the bonuses that I've played to. And for whatever reason you happen to, to purchase that one, there's now none of those left. I get a slightly less optimal one was that your clever play? You know, ha ha, good for you, I, I guess, right? But it, it just doesn't feel the way it should for a game that's that tight on, in scoring, in, in my opinion. So I, I didn't enjoy that about the game. So looking at what I did like, I, I would say I didn't really get the feeling that the game was otherwise unbalanced in any way. You know, there seemed to be a lot of different things you could do and different approaches you could take. The components were pretty bland in the prototype, of course. I mean, it's pro- probably about as bland as I've seen in a print-and-play, so I'm sure the the nice art in the final version will add something. You know, I, I don't know if the theme came across as well as I would like it to have, but okay. it probably works better than your average Euro. So one of, the, one of the neat things about the game is there's almost like two types of money in the game. So there's uh, there's your regular sort of money, and then there's information, I, I think it was called. It's been a while since I played my last game. But, you know, first, again, that seemed, you know, I mean, I guess I could argue it still is that way, that it seemed needless, again, to have the multiple currencies, and there wasn't really much of a difference. But it, it does matter in the way that some of the mechanics play out. There's, there's certain areas on the board, and in a way it reminds me of uh, Manhattan Project, actually. 
because um, there is kind of the central board where you play on, and then you have your own kind of little play area where you play your floors and such. And, and maybe that's one of my other problems with it, because since I like Manhattan Project so much, and Manhattan Project has really stood up to future uh, plays, you know, this this one almost comes off more as like, uh, and I've seen other people compare it to a Wallace game, which I think any real Wallace fan would be offended by, because <laughs> it's really not quite in that vein. But at the same time, I sort of see that it's not exactly your typical Euro either, so... I think it may well appear appeal to more of the casual Wallace fan because it sort of is in that vein. My third sort of problem with it, so you know, just a re- rehash. If I go, the game length is really long. Um, I didn't like how tight the the scoring was for as little control as you seem to have on that. The third complaint I have, which kind of builds off the first one, is you know, we'll call it lies on the box, right? So I think the the box kind of lies about the game length, at least as I've seen it claimed and then there's also you know the two through six players and uh, when i played this with two it was broken uh, i don't think there's any other word for that it, it just was absolutely awful many of the areas on the game board just don't work uh, it's odd because if you go on bgg and look at the comments of the designer or publisher i think it is one of the two they actually talk in their comments about okay you know i played this again with the new two-player rules and it seems a little bit better than it had before you know, and that was like as of 2009 or something, right? It's, it's just odd that they haven't updated their comments since. Um, so clearly they knew that two-player was a problem. Um, but I don't think in any way it's fixed. And and the person I played the two-player with hadn't played it and it you know, in, in, with any other uh, number, and it came away absolutely hating the game. Absolutely hating the game. And in fact, I think, you know, the original group I played with, I mean, one of those gamers had, had you know, rated it a five, you know, pretty low. And um, so I've, I've sort of indirect or directly been involved with, you know, two people who have kind of rated it poorly. One, a game I didn't initiate and one I did. So, but, you know, I mean, again, you know, the positives, I mean, it didn't really feel like regurgitated sludge, right? I mean, it's not like we've seen a hundred games just like this and here's another one. I mean, it kind of did have its own thing, you know, with the way these, these employees are represented by cubes that are time slices and uh, you know how you choose to do that I don't know you know it's 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 a rough one for me I, you know one thing I'm really impressed by is the fact that they did stick out this ability to to, to try the game I mean we talked about the negative reviews of Kickstarter games and you know not right. being fair but you know really you know what more could a person ask for right I mean here's the game you just have to go download it and play it for yourself to make a decision I mean nothing could be more fair than that you know, on, on on that level, it almost should be backed in principle by by everyone, right? As as opposed to the companies that don't even release the rules, and you know, only two reviewers get a copy, and they're paid, and you know, or whatever the case might be. So, you know, here's a game where they put it all out there. So, uh, is is this how it should be? I you know, I actually think so, right? I mean, it should be a try before you buy. Uh, many gamers do that anyway, right? I wait for a friend to get a copy. I try it. If I like it, I go buy it, right? Or I go play yeah. it at a con, or I play a demo of it, right? At least a turn or two to give me a, a sense of it. But, you know, yeah, I mean, it's it, unfortunately, it was a game that I, I thought a lot more positively of, of on my first play, but had some concerns of that I was hoping to dismiss. And that's really why I felt the need to, you know, even overproduce the print and play just to, you know, help that much more and, and making those further plays enjoyable, but it just didn't work out that way for me. So 
I, you know, I don't know. It's you know the 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 question I've been asking myself with Kickstarter games now is the would I have published it right? And yeah, I I think unlike some of the other Kickstarter games, I mean, I think this one has some merits. It, it seems to me because of the lack of a good two-player game and the clear misunderstanding to game length that perhaps there wasn't enough playtesting of this title. You know, maybe some more things could have been streamlined. Maybe there's something missing where it was a little too too dry, too samey on future plays and, and not enough to really keep it going. There is a random draw that you do too for like what uh, you get to see kind of the future if it's going to be a depression or a recession or a boom uh, but within that, there's a certain random range. And, and again, that can sway the points, one or two. So uh, that you know that was contributed to some of the reasons why for a game that comes down to... Uh, okay, so in the, in the six-player game, the final scores were like 42, 41, you know, uh, you know 39, 38, 37, 36, right? Stuff, stuff like that. You know, why with such close scores... Because everything's basically five points and or six points and maxes out at that, so there's okay. there's no way, way to like kind of just really overdo it on any one thing, and so kind of whatever you do, and there's only so much space you have, so you kind of get filled up at a certain point, you know, almost in a castles of Burgundy sort of way, where I've I've seen people complain, you know, that the that the game is one turn too long because you know you if you're more efficient and get all those points early on, then you're kind of out of stuff to do on that last turn, and then other people kind of catch up. And, uh, you know, that, again, that isn't really a problem I've experienced with the game, but I, I see that. But, you know, here, that was kind of the experience each time is where I just felt like I just I didn't feel like I'd earned it when I won or when I got second place or when I'd lost. I didn't, you know, you know, this, OK, they just got a better card and that gave them one point, you know, on the random card draw or, you know, they happened to be able to buy slightly before me, and yes, there's some influence on turn order, but this wasn't ever something I was going to deduce over, you know, 340 cube plays that I was going to know that 142 out, I'm going to have to be able to buy this one card that's going to give me one extra point that the game's going to come down to. Uh, I don't know. It just it didn't play out satisfying for me, but I mean, it's still at some level, I can't say there's anything wrong with the game mechanically, you know, other than with two. So, you know, I I think it's really a game that probably should have had three through five on the box, not two or six, and just let people kind of unofficially come up with variations for two and six. But, you know, so, yeah, so, uh, in, you know, in summary, again, you know, the game was too long. I didn't like how tight the scoring was for the lack of control there. And uh, and I think the two-player game is is kind of a lie and, and really... Not, I wouldn't even say borderline broken, but maybe all out broken. I would absolutely not consider this for a two-player game. Wow. Okay. The next game I'll talk about, a game called Mob Ties. Now, this was an interesting game for me. So, uh, <laughs> this is a game with cards that are, you know, called things like hookers in the trunk and such. <laughs> Classy. Yeah, so it was a little Kickstarter game. This one's uh, already released, so play-to-release copy. Really, this is a first impression. I've only played it once. But what what basically happened is on my first turn, uh, you know, you're, you're dealt a certain number of cards, and there's attack cards and defense cards or whatever, and, and I didn't have any defense cards in my hand. And uh, you have, you know, five guys, and, and two, you know, some of them are clearly better than others. And I, basically on turn one, I lost my two best guys. 
as I, I think you see where I'm already going here, but lost my two best guys because I didn't have any defense cards, so no way to counter the attack, you know, just from the, the cards that I started with. Yeah. Right. So then I was like, okay, I've got this hookers in the trunk card. <laughs> and, uh, which, uh, you know, um, is, is the one where, you, you know, a mobster gets pinched and so they get thrown in the slammer. And then I have this shank that kills a person in prison, but of course you have to be in prison to, to do that or whatever. And, well, how do you get yourself in prison? So, okay, but maybe I could kill somebody this way. So I got these two cards and I'm trying, okay, I'm going to play them. Well, that didn't happen because I got gassed by a player. So my, my turn was skipped, right? So, First turn, my two best guys die. Second turn, uh, I didn't even get a turn because my, my turn was skipped, right? So I'm like, all right, all right, I'll do hookers in the trunk on turn three. No. No, got gassed again, you know. by uh, Maybe it was the same, maybe it was a different player, I don't remember. But So turn three, still hadn't done anything, <laughs> right? Uh, so now okay. there's, there's a dealing aspect to the game. And, and this is actually the part of the game I kind of like. I mean, I kind of like this in... Any game, because it's player interaction, right? But I made a deal, you know, there's money that you split up and stuff, and so, okay, well, you know, I've, I, uh, I'd actually said the name of the card, I think, on accident, and so people knew I had this, like, card, and I was like, okay, well, I won't attack you if you let me get this money and, and that type of thing, uh, uh, which, which, you know, in, in true negotiation fashion, uh, I'd actually, the exact wording he used is, I won't attack, I won't kill your, you know, this third best guy or whatever, um, and I said, okay, fine. And uh, I think I even paid him some. Yeah, I paid him some money so he wouldn't attack the guy. And okay, well, he just attacked a different guy instead. So <laughs> it was actually good. I actually like that. Right? That was stupid of me to make a deal and uh, and not be clear on what the parameters of the deal was. Right? All right. So there goes my third guy. Right? Dead. And I still haven't played uh, practically a single card. All right. So now it's turn four. You know, I actually get a turn. My turn wasn't skipped. No, I wasn't gassed or anything. The problem is I have no money because, you know, well, I haven't been playing the game, <laughs> right? So uh, I can't afford, you have to buy cards with money. I can't afford to buy any cards. So uh, I basically try to do what I can. And there's this thing where feds come and bust people and such. So, uh, you know, but, you know, I'm probably going into far more uh after action report than it's need to. So I'll just cut to the chase and say, you know, Hey, my next guy died. My last guy died by turn five. I was basically out of the game. And, uh, what's the point? So the, the winner won with a hundred points. Uh, the second player got 40 and, uh, I, I got five, right. Uh, so it was a three player game, which, which, Fantastic. uh, yeah. So, I mean, for starters, yeah, I'll be the first to say I think it's a game that'd probably be better with more people. You know, I don't, I don't know if BGG calls it a party game. You know, I'm gonna look this up because it, because it darn well should be. <laughs> it sounds like it's a party. But you know, it wasn't. It's not kind of the way. It's again, it's, you know, how you market the game or how you um, approach the game. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see it listed as a party game. It just says bluffing, card game, mafia, mature adult, and negotiations. So I, I don't see how it's not, you know, a party game. I mean, that's what it was for me. And on that level, maybe it's, you know, it's cool, right? I make some deals. It doesn't work out. I get screwed out of two turns. My guys all die. I don't get any money. Whatever, you know, it's just fun. You're drinking. You're having fun. Big deal. It's mafia, you know, whatever. But, you know, I, I talked about how... Uh, ground floor was too close in score <laughs> right yeah. without the, the ability to really you know feel like 
that one point was in con- you were in control of it. Well, this one, look how swayed this was. You know, a hundred to forty to five. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's the opposite extreme. That's you know so much you know lack of control and meaningful anything. That I mean, I how could it possibly work out to to, to such an extreme? Um, you know, how could that represent this great deep game or whatever? So, you know, really that's my problem with the game is I don't know what kind of game this is supposed to be. I don't know who it's supposed to be for, you know, a game of negotiation, intrigue and revenge for, for three to six. Um, it, it did play fast enough, I guess, but ultimately, uh, yeah, I wasn't very thrilled with it. So that's Bob Ties. <laughs> Moving on, Empires of the Void. Okay. So here's a here's a game. I'm a huge 4x, you know, sci-fi fan, right? Oh yeah. So uh, you know, if there's other types of games that I'm predisposed, you know, maybe not to like, this is one I'm definitely predisposed to like. But not so big a fan. <laughs> really? Again, I mean, Kickstarter's just been been disappointing me. It's been uh, breaking my heart. Uh, but you know so this is a game you know where you know basically what happens is there's certain bonuses you get from the peaceful conquering so you know generally you're going to start out the game as a diplomat and this is this is my first problem with the game is there was really random card draws that utterly can screw you in your ability to conquer those planets uh, in any kind of the time as as your opponent and so you know, you you have to match basically this category, and you you know may just not get any of them for where you're at, and so you waste time getting somewhere else. And all right, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe that's supposed to balance it out, or uh, you know, you are supposed to that is supposed to be the pain for that, and you go combat instead. But if you do combat, you don't get the bonus, so you don't get to take advantage of the um, other ship types or whatever the the benefit would be. Um, you know, so. It seems like diplomacy is the way to go, and then you you shift to building ships and going for combat, and you have the ability you know to build like this moth alien ship and things, and uh, you know there is dice rolling for the for the diplomacy action as well, but you know fine, but the whole thing kind of plays out is you know it seems like a little bit of the rich richer mechanic, uh, you know I don't know it. It just with the diplomacy it wasn't working, and I you know I I think I'd switch somewhat to combat. Uh, you know, approach, but there aren't a lot of modifiers in the game, so combat itself is just very, very, very. Did I, should I add a couple more varies there? Basic. I mean, it's just about the most basic combat system there is. Rudimentary, you know, very basic and rudimentary game. The the other thing that's interesting about the game that didn't make any sense to any of us is once you're allied with a planet, you can't change that. So I can't ever go in and like get your technology. You know, you allied with them initially and, and have that, and uh, if I conquer it, then you you know you still sort of score the ally points off of them. You know, I score okay. like these other points, but I can't really ever kind of take over the people. And you know, it's I hesitate. You know, okay, wow, you could say, oh, that's innovative. You know, I mean, it's not just innovative just because it's different from something else, right? I mean, there has to be a purpose to it. It has to tie into the game mechanics. It has to make for this interesting dilemma. Or maybe at least be thematic and represent some sort of reality within the storyline or whatever. And so uh, that was just an aspect that didn't really work for me. I mean, it seemed like it was almost there just to make to help make the game quicker. 
perhaps you know so that scoring would would move along in a in a in a, in a more balanced way or whatever. But the rules themselves were you know kind of a mess. There was this weird rotating hexagon thing too, which I I don't know that I, it just seemed out of place here. Like you know tacked on like okay let's let's do this dungeon twister thing where you know this this sector in space just rotates and now <laughs> you look there so everything's connected in a different way um, for no real reason. Some of the upgrades were uh, really uninteresting, where it seemed like, you know, there's all these different ship types, but there really weren't a lot of reasons to build certain ones of them or use certain upgrades. You know, just overall, it seemed a little underdeveloped. And especially in comparison to all the other 4X games that have come out in recent times. So, well, Twilight Imperium 3 has been out for a while, so that doesn't really count. Um, you know, and that's a heavy hitter, we'll say. But, you know, um, you know Eclipse, right? Far better, lighter game for me. Space Empires 4X, even, you know, from GMT to okay. more of the combat flavor. I happen to even like, as a really light one, Ascending Empires. You know, it has a little bit of a flicking element, but uh, but it isn't a major com- component, really, to the gameplay. It does have kind of the uh, the other 4X aspects to it, so... You know, those are those. That's part of the problem here. Is you know, really, if I want to re- recommend a really light one, it's Ascending Empires. You know, middleweight is Eclipse. You know, maybe Space Emperor Empires 4X uh, a little bit heavier. You know, in a war game way because it has the chits and stuff. And you know, of course, for the big one, TI3 plus expansions. As something else, you know, from the past, a little bit further back, I would even say Galactic Emperor, a game that I did get rid of, uh, that I still think is better than this one, uh, as a light TI3 variant. And and some of the choices made in that game. I think make more sense. Combat's more rewarding. You know, the the way that resources is implemented makes sense. You know, again, this game, it tries to capitalize on the tech tree, the diplomacy aspect, and maybe some of the spatial elements and rotation. I, I just didn't feel like it It succeeded on any of those levels, and it really it just offered me nothing new, ha- having been a person that's played all of these other 4X games. Not terribly wrong. Don't don't hate it or anything, but just uh, there's just no real reason to play it with all the other better 4X games that are out there. So uh, you know, oh, I was yeah. just disappointed. Wow. And then uh, you know, moving into the last Kickstarter game, which is perhaps the one I have the least to say about, is uh, a game that is uh, is funded. I think it. You know, made to the tune of seventy-five, eighty thousand dollars. Gunship First Strike. So, uh, you know, this this is a game I've I've played uh, only with two because the the copy of the game I have only includes components for two. And um, <laughs> I have to I have to say I haven't enjoyed it, and uh, nor have those that I've played it with. In fact, of uh, of all the Kickstarter games I've mentioned, this is probably the one where I really no one I've played it with in any way enjoyed the game. So I, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. I, I mean, I will make some excuses for the game, first of all, which is to say, uh, again, the, the, the copy I played, besides not playing more than two, although I don't particularly think more players is going to fix what I didn't like about the game, but it did have uh, a lack of some of the expansions that the uh, the final game will have. So uh, more on that in a minute. But I'm just going to mention really two things I didn't like about the game. I, I, I could go more critically in depth, but again, we'll we'll call this a, a pre-release review since it's not on the final version of the game. And so I'm just going to mention a couple of the things that uh, that concerned me the most. 
the, the first one is the customization, which was to me what this game was always about. You know, when I, when I read the rules and this was one of the games I didn't, you know, look to get into blind. I really had read the entire rule book and thought this was going to be a game for me. And uh, so what it has, it has a shipboard, and there's eight different places around the board where you can place components. As you're fighting your uh, opponent's gunship, different areas then get damaged as you go throughout the game. Well, so as I looked at it, there really wasn't nearly as much customizing as I thought there was going to be. I mean, basically you have, you know, torpedo launchers in the front, and then in the back, you have your choice of, are you going to use blaster cannons or ion cannons? And, okay, maybe I... Uh, and, and then there's um, uh, uh, thruster bombs uh, as an option, which uh, you know, didn't, didn't actually seem all that particularly useful in comparison. But, but that aside, I mean, you know, basically there's only two types of weapons. And so here I thought, and you know, I tried this in one game, well, what if I were to go like all blaster cannons, right? So that would be neat customization versus you know two different types of weapons and just really just uh, you know maybe three blaster cannons and the um, those bombs right uh, well here's the problem with the game so that, that very first turn I drew three ionized cards is what they're called and this is basically the card that corresponds to the other weapon and the way that the game plays is you can only discard one card a turn so I immediately had this hand mostly full of cards I couldn't play. I mean, you see the problem there, right? Yeah. Uh, and so the only way I can discard more than one is if I pass my whole, you know, if I do nothing else my turn, basically now I can discard two. Well, great. You know, I, you know basically I'm, uh, you know, what, in other words, what I learned quickly is there is no real option to not have at least one of each of those primary weapons, right? The blast, because that at least gives me a purpose to the card in my hand. If I If I have none of that type of weapon, then now I'm going to have all these dead cards in my hand as I draw them. And so with that in mind, now it becomes a, you know, well, now the variations are, okay, I either have one extra blaster cannon or one extra ion cannon, and it just didn't it didn't vary enough game to game. And in fact, just the ver- variety in cards is, there just really aren't that many cards that do anything, um, you know, clever or neat to me. Now, there are some other components that are talked about in the rule set that I have that are talked about in the Kickstarter campaign. But, you know, as I looked at them, okay, you know, they're, they're heavier versions of armor, let's say, uh, you know, it just didn't, it really didn't, didn't add a satisfying variety for the types of customization I'm looking for that I'm used to in other types of games. Like if you look at a, almost a space empires 4 X, which is, you know, a terrible comparison in terms of it's a far more complicated, you know, deep game, but just when you're customizing your spaceships there, or even like an eclipse, right? I mean, it's just, there, there really feels like some variety between them. And I mean, here I just didn't get enough of that feeling, right? Not to say there aren't all these different ways to customize it, but it just didn't, didn't seem to matter enough to me, right? Based on, how the strategy in the game plays out. And so that was the thing that I think was most disappointing because that was the thing that most attracted me to the game. And, uh, you know, I don't, don't really see any, any way that that's being fixed. Now then the other thing that I disliked about the game was that essentially this comes down to a, a, a conflict map. That's three hexagons or three squares, right? So you're either, where your carrier is, where their carrier is, or in this no man's land in between. And so think about a war game that only had three hexes or three squares. I mean, that's basically what you're playing on. And that almost seems needless, right? I mean, there's really no 
yeah, I'm sure people are going to argue there's all this depth and strategy in that, but it, that's just so bland in, in, in choice. I mean, it, it's it's kind of okay, just throw my thing in the center at theirs. Okay, yes, I can go to that, you know. But we we, I, we tried some ex, an extreme play just to see what would happen, and and there's really wasn't a lot of reason to deviate from this sort of set path. And then it really kind of comes down to just you know who rolls better, and so the game really was really just this light dice roller. You know, there isn't a whole lot of thought behind, you know, what what you do or why. You just kind of wait and see what cards you get, play them, roll the dice, you know, see who who blows up more stuff. Very disappointing for me. Wow. And then, you know, the other thing that was kind of interesting is this was a game where the designer had said, okay, you know, I've been working on this game for 20 years, right? We'll call it a pet peeve of mine, right? Because I've been... You know, I've been working on games for 20 years, right? I got, I got a dozen of them I've been working on for 20 years. Uh, you know, I've, most of them probably haven't been touched in 20 years. But if I pull them out and work on them for two minutes, yeah, you know, they've been in the works for 20 years, right? Because I, uh, you know, came up with something when I was 18, and it's been in my drawer ever since, right? Just like we talked about those games at the bottom of, uh, you know, insert famous designers here closet, right? Where they go, yeah, it's a game I've been working on for, you know, 10 years. Well, it's been at the bottom of your closet for nine of them, right? So. Yeah. But but the, the thing I wanted to say, the reason I bring it up in this case is, you know, there, you can look at the Kickstarter threads, and there was all this talk of, well, maybe we should make it um, a customizable game where you build your deck before you go to battle. Or, uh, you know, now I think they added a, a galactic map where, you know, kind of exactly what I was talking about with the war game thing. It's, it's always the go-to thing. You know, we'll have this grand strategy thing, and then, you know, where you overlap there, then you'll zoom in and fight this smaller battle, and then things will continue on. And, and uh, you know, honestly, actually, I think both of those ideas are great, because this game is a game that needs more to it. And I think, with the exception that there aren't really enough cards to, to build a custom deck, or, I mean, enough variety in them, you know, I think that would work better because of, again, the, the, the problem I mentioned with the, the Ion cards and such, but... But just the fact that those things would be brought up tell me, well, wait, if this game has been, you know, fully f- playtested and just, you know, rung through every ringer there is and sent out to all corners of the earth for blind playtests and stuff, then why would you be talking about massive changes to the game that just radically would alter what the game even is to, to where any past playtesting would really be moot, right, by anybody who's who's gone through the design process before? Right. right. So that didn't make any sense to me. That kind of, you know, kind of threw me off. And like, I, I actually agree. Those are probably all things this game should need, and I would improve upon it. But it, it kind of exposes the the lack of of, of playtest. And in fact, if you look at this game, there's almost no reviews by anyone of any note. You know, there's very few comments. You know, there's very little con. If any, I don't think there was maybe any con playtesting of this. And yet, this game, just on the strength of the uh, the art alone sold uh you know eighty thousand dollars or whatever it was uh, um so that's surprising so i don't know you know the thing is this is one of those games where you know uh i think the the neutral negative review helps because is this a game that war gamers are going to like no serious euro gamers heck no right ameritrash gamers mm, closer uh, but again, this almost falls to me in that party game level. I mean, it's that light. But the problem is, party game for only two people? Okay, four now with the added components? That doesn't really... You know, I mean, it's, it's almost like the would appeal to the Flux Munchkin group of, like, Ameritrash players, or, you know, or something like that. Just a really light 
bucket of dice type of gamers. And the, the thought that everyone could love this game is absurd. So there, there's going to be many, 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 many people who dislike this game just because of how simple and light it is. Not that others won't love it, right? Not that over time this won't grow to be a great game through expansion and tweaking and whatever the case might be, but as it as it stands now in the in the early days of its progression, you know, post Kickstarter, I'm kind of concerned for its ultimate viability, destination, and success. You know, I if I were a betting man, it, this could be another Miskatonic. Wow. I certainly hope to be wrong. The designer seemed plenty nice enough of a guy and certainly wish him no ill will, but this wasn't a game for me or any of the gamers I played with, which was as varied as my wife to, you know, more serious gamers to, you know, middleweight gamers. So kind of across the board. And, you know, as anybody who's followed my reviews knows, I mean, I'm not a Euro snob, right? I love Ameritrash games as well. I like family games and children's games. You know, I play all different types of games. So no particular predisposed reason that I, I would or wouldn't have liked it other than I like again I love science fiction and I you know I love the idea of customizing ships and stuff and uh, but it just didn't you know none of, nothing about this game really worked for me here okay and uh, again I could I could go on and on into other things and concerns and stuff but I think I hit the the main ones for me and you know just to remind everyone too this was a pre-release version of the game so uh, you know, who knows? I mean, it could be completely different than what ends up in the box that you get. Uh, you know, which, like I said, concerns me in a whole different way. Um, you know, when you're when you're spending your money, but you know, perhaps gameplay-wise, still don't think it's going to be something for me. But it may well be better than the experience I had. That was Gunship First Strike. Okay. <laughs> So we uh, both attended another uh, house con, I guess we could call it, right? You know, those sort of private invite events where, uh, you know, 20-some gamers get together at somebody's house and play all day and all night. Yes, we did. And, uh, you know, this one was kind of neat because the particular gamer actually started at, uh, you know, 5 or 6 p.m. on Friday, Memorial Day weekend. And play. they played basically straight through till uh, Monday night, right? So this is like a, you know, three-and-a-half-day thing. Now, I was only there for the Saturday, you know, pretty much uh, maybe to the better sum of 13 hours or so. Got quite a few games played uh, that we'll talk about. Uh, A lot of interesting games. Some I loved, some I thought were okay, some I didn't like so much. Okay. But the first one, when I I first got there, I played Merchant of Venus, which uh, the good old 1988 Avalon Hill Games Edition, which is something I haven't played since I was a kid. And I remember... I remember loving it and, and buying it when it first came out, you know, so I was like literally, you know, day one at the game store and I was buying it and uh, there was nothing else even remotely like it at the time uh, that I'd ever played or heard of or talked to anyone who had played, right? Not so much of the internet then, so there was certainly the possibility stuff existed that just was outside of of, of the companies you were exposed to, but, uh, but it, you know, it was kind of neat to go back to it and I, it is a game I pre-ordered. I pre-ordered the new FFG version back like January, February when it first went up for pre-order. So I got a feeling I'll be waiting on that one for a while, but uh, I was curious: does it live up to current standards? For and and just a you know a spoiler for those that don't know. I mean, for the most part, games don't for me. Games that I go back and play that I loved from years ago. Uh, I've played so many games now, and I actually re-looked at this recently, and it's more to the tune of 1,500. I had been saying a thousand, um, but I've played some like 1,500 odd games now, and 
Uh, I enjoy a lot of them a whole lot more than I do older games that I go back and, and play, even as much as I like them in the past. So I, I kind of didn't want to play this one. I kind of wanted to get the new version and you know not be tainted by possibly not liking it or uh, now. So before I get to my opinion on it, I will say uh, I won, <laughs> which uh, you know it was kind of good that as I played it, and this happened sort of with Rex too. And, you know, like kind of came back to me, like you know, this was a game I played quite a bit. Um, so I kind of remembered what I what I used to do and not do to do well, and, and kind of went back to that strategy. Um, and, I, and I actually Ryan Metzler of the Dice Tower was playing in this game. It was his copy of the game, uh, and he's never lost. So I even beat him. So that was kind of kind of nice. Oh, wow. right? Yeah, I, I th- he had said I think he's played you know four or five games now and has won every one of them. You know he did come in second in this one, uh, and and just by a by a by a hair. But you know, so so my first concern on the game, we'll say, is is there is a lot of luck in the game. Uh, now, it doesn't bother me as much as uh, some games, right? I mean, like a Euro game, you want luck maybe for variety in plays, right? You know, because the the randomization on the card deck maybe changes it from game to game, right, or something to that tune. But you still feel like you have some control. Uh, Mirror trash games or war games, you know, you know, like a war game, the dice is you know evens out over the game, so it's not really. I mean, there's luck, but y- you you don't really feel like you lost because you just generally anyway you roll bad, right? It kind of evens out over the game. You know, yeah, this battle didn't go your way, but this other one did, and and you're you know, manipulating then on the on the strategic level based upon all of that. So tactically, it's swayed, but not strategically, if that makes sense. Um, and with the mirror trash, usually that's why people either love or hate the genre as a whole, right? Because there's usually more luck involved, um, and it's not as in war games. It's usually not as easy to see that it's acceptable or not, or as you know in euro games. But, so in any case. Um, I did. I was reminded of the, all the different elements in this game that are open to luck, and uh, you know. Well, let, let me get a quick summary too. So, you know, basically this is a pick up and deliver game where you get points for goods that you sell. You know, or well, really money is points, right? So you're making money on goods that you sell, passengers that you deliver. Uh, to an extent, when you first discover a civilization, so there's a bit of four X in it, right? Um, you get an IOU, so you get kind of a credit to spending at that uh, civilization, which is, you know, in other words, is money, which is points. And then, uh, you know, on top of that, the main other thing is you can buy equipment to improve your spaceship. So you can buy bigger spaceships, faster spaceships, uh, yellow, red combo drives are called, which let, lets you basically skip spots on the board so you're moving faster. There's shields that protect you against certain things that happen in the game. And, and you know, and that's that's to an extent the basics of what's involved. So now let's talk about random. So here's all the things that are random. Okay, movement die rolls. So the distance that you go in the game is random. If I've got a, a ship's range between two and four dice, you roll those dice. You you could have you know three dice and roll three ones, and you're moving three spaces, which is nothing, right? You could roll three sixes, which means you pretty much get to go wherever you wanted on the line that you were going. You know that that can kind of suck, but you know the idea is not to make it this completely analytical thing where you know okay this ship's always going to be better right um there are a lot of times in the game where you don't need to go that far so if you have a slower ship that can carry more you have two chances to roll maybe that distance of five or six that you need to roll right which is statistically theoretically should happen um you know the the three just gives you a better ability to do that but a lot of times it may be overkill the four may well be overkill you know you don't need to move that far 
you know, the other thing that's random is there's pilot numbers, there's clouds and wormholes where you're kind of forced to go a certain direction and you have to pick one of the numbers that you roll. So if you have a slower ship because you're rolling less total dice, you have less pilot numbers to pick from. You know, that's random, yes, but it's also meant to be, again, a penalty for that larger ship that you may end up veering off course into a direction that you didn't really want to go um, because you don't have that uh, the, the variety in the extra dice. There's a bonus tile that's drawn from the bag. Anytime you deliver a good, you replace it with a, a, a tile drawn from the bad, which could be a bonus that gives you uh, extra money for a good delivered somewhere at kind of a random location, or it could be a fair which is, uh, again, at a random location. So that's random. You know, replacement goods will co eventually come back out. You know, that, that could be drawn at random. There's asteroids that are placed on the board, which are random. So when you land on one, you flip it over. It could be a shield that basically costs you money as a penalty, or it could be a relic, which is like a free benefit. And, you know, you might think, okay, I landed on all the shields or the, you know, the, the, the penalty ones that where I needed shields to not pay that. They got all the relics. That's kind of random. Uh, even the civilization discoveries, so they're all face down when you go and, and explore one. You might find, uh, you know, or your opponent might find their home nation, which has a couple of benefits, and you might find, you know, one that's not as good. And then there's a certain thing where as you buy goods, you can sell to the next three uh, numbered nations. And, uh, you know, you might in your little corner find ones that are all over the board uh, or, you know, are not in good sequence, and somebody else might find this perfect uh, sequence of you know, civilization. So that could be random and, and so on, right? So there's, there's factories or space stations you can build in the game. So, you know, for that reason, I think it doesn't hold up as well as I'd hoped it did, but I think it's still offered a, a rich thematic game experience. And, uh, you know, particularly the pickup and deliver aspects and economic aspects layered upon like the sci-fi theme, I still think really works, but, Again, it's it's hardly going to be for the Euro snob, um, you know. But I think even the casual Ameritrash fan, it's more in line with that, you know, with a little bit of the Euro flavor because of the economic and pick up and deliver stuff. So it has true solitaire rules. That's a plus. I've never actually tried them, but I think that's neat. It has a way to incorporate some of that into a two-player game to make the two-player game better, which again is neat. I like games that specifically address, you know, different numbers of players in a way that's tuned better for them. The really great thing, you know, I talked about like um, ground floor being too long. I didn't find this game too long, right? I don't remember it being too long back when, but uh, we played without the combat rules. The The game length was more than acceptable to this 2000 goal, which is a default. And uh, yeah, you know, the game did come down to, there was a point, you know, just to talk about randomness, right? So, you know, I, I don't know. Are you a fan of randomness in games or... Not so much. I'm not bothered by it like some people are. I mean, I, I just kind of go with the flow. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it depends I mean, on the it, game and the yeah. implementation, but yeah, you know, here what it, what happened was there was a point where I had everything I needed to win. I just had to get to where I could deliver it. I had to pass some passengers and I had some goods, and it was a ways away because of where I was at. 
And there was a route, and I had a, the big ship uh, that was really slow, and, and one route was going to be almost impossible because I would never get the pilot numbers to get through this you know, nebula. The other route was longer, but it was guaranteed, and it wasn't that much longer, just maybe like one turn longer. Well, I proceeded to roll really poorly on the movement rolls, you know, like threes and fours where I, I should have been getting you know sixes and elevens and stuff and and uh i wasn't generating any revenue with this long you know track home to you know to 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 cash in and win um and so ryan was basically catching up fast on his uh little engine he had built even though i was otherwise kind of ahead of everyone and well he was getting good luck too in in his movement roles and and other roles and such Uh, but you know, your good luck's only going to hold out so long. So again, there's enough sort of randomness over different things in the game that ultimately then he encountered a couple bad luck rolls and didn't keep that momentum going. Whereas I, I, you know, actually, I don't think I ever really got a really good lucky roll, but I got then some mediocre ones instead of poor ones and basically made it and got done what I needed to get done and, and won by a little bit of a healthy lead. Uh, you know, sort of as it should have been. And then, you know, and I actually was thinking about it at a time and I was thinking like, yeah, you know what, even if I don't win, I'm okay with it. You know, it's like, this is part of, of just how this game plays. And, you know, there, there, there was certainly some, I, I, I did a very, very different strategy than everyone else and very different than Ryan. Ryan did very different than anyone else. And that was kind of okay. Right. I mean, there were some things I didn't do that if he ultimately won, even if luck appeared to maybe sway that, maybe it's as much because of the other choices he made or whatever. So, um, or there's some things I could have done to, you know, optimize even better. And so, you know, again, it's that fulfilling thing coming out of the game where I feel like, okay, I've learned from playing this, even as many times as I remember playing it back when that I feel like, okay, you know, there's some benefits to this strategy and I see, you know, some benefits to what he did. And, you know, maybe I would try this next time. And uh, for instance, I didn't build any factories or space stations, which is a strategy I'd often employed so I, I must say that I, you know, while it didn't live up to everything I hoped it to be, you know, maybe like the best game ever, uh, I'm I'm not canceling my pre-order, right? I'm I'm actually optimistic that FFG will maybe add some additional optional rules, some variants that might expand upon it even more. Uh, I mean, I, actually, the really biggest complaint I have about the game is not the randomness. I think it, that it's fine in the way that it's implemented here. The biggest complaint I have about the game is the fact that nobody ever wants to play with the combat rules. And so I, it's, it's kind of like I have to. I think I'm going to seek out a group. If anyone's listening, that's a fan or wants to try it with combat, you know, the longer version, at Gen Con, right? Let's let's do a game. Let's play with combat, you know, um, for a change. I mean, I barely even played with combat way back when. So I, I'd love to try it with that. I'd like to see what FFG does. I'd like to see what maybe some better components do, to uh, you know, helping uh, add a little bit to the game or whatever. So speaking of the game. What do you think is going to happen with the uh, two companies that are vying for the release? Uh, I think they learned from the public display that that they had done and that happened back with uh, Age of Steam and Steam and some of that stuff. And, and really, it's it's long since been resolved out of court, um, but there's no particular reason for any of them to uh, to say any more publicly. So, uh, you know, any anybody can kind of guess as to what happened, but... Uh, really, I know that uh, Stronghold went on record saying that if FFG released a version, they would absolutely not release a game 
because it would make no financial sense, even though they could have maybe renamed it or whatever right. uh, and used the other artwork that was already done and not spend the money that FFG did, that it just basically made no sense to have two copies, similar copies of the same game within such a short time frame, uh, and that they wouldn't do it. And so FFG, having the game basically already done, was uh, there's really no reason or no ability legally to stop them from putting it out there. Uh, I suspect that it'll show up at Gen Con. I could be wrong. With all the rumors about, you know, basically Stronghold's also come out and said, hey, we have Magic Realm, you know, okay, we don't, and we're not going to admit we did, but we're not going to say we don't, you know, it's that type of thing. Uh, and Magic Realm's another game that I loved, absolutely loved back when, I, and I've been desperately searching to find a replacement for that I never have uh, found really anything close. Uh, much, much more of a beast of a game than this one, so, you know, I even more concerns is, you know, how well that might hold up if the rules aren't addressed in a, in a more easy-to-learn programmatic way like the original first edition was of Magic Realm. But, but basically, I could see almost like, um, you know, whatever the reasons or ability was that FFG got at Merchant of Venus, maybe they go, okay, you know what? Hey, you take Magic Realm, we'll take Merchant of Venus. We haven't put any money into that one. We probably could claim it the same way we did through Hasbro for this one. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, that would be a nice compromise. Of course, I'm, I know I'm still smoking uh, to say that because there probably was no such conversation, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I was just thinking, you know, FFG give away something they didn't never really wanted to have or cared to have in the first place, right? And, you know, hey, with same designer, two hot games reprints, we've already done this one. Now's not the time to argue about it. And, that, and that, honestly, that is actually why I side with FFG in this because I like the Stronghold guys. I, I have plenty of their games. I don't, I don't really dislike any of their games or, or, or the guys. Um, you know, they seem sincere enough, but they just had no stake in the game, right? I mean, you know, the art was going to be this reused art from the print and play. They hadn't put any money into anything really. Uh, just kind of their time and chasing down Richard. Where FFG had you know already done molds and artwork and um, had been working on this for some time with the you know intent on doing like kind of the surprise announcement of you know hey it's only you know three months away now type of thing right and and so you know I, I, it's you know, yes FFG is this big company and you know maybe they haven't done right on every reprint but you know hey still they had much more skin in the game you know and, and uh, money to lose so. You know, you could argue they should have contacted the publisher, or I mean, the designer. But uh, you know, legally, the right way would be to go to where you believe the rights to be. And you know, I myself have acquired rights to an old Avalon Hill game through Hasbro once upon a time. So I would never have thought to go any other place than than there to to, to at least find out where the rights were. Right? If I go there looking for them and they go, oh, we don't have them, then then I go somewhere else. Well, and actually, actually, that's kind of what happened in this case because. Um, they had sold them through a chain of companies, but uh, but that wasn't the FFG experience, right? They go to Hasbro, you know, or whatever Wizards of the Coast, whatever division it is, but you know, probably the Hasbro licensing division uh, to start with. They go, oh yeah, absolutely, we'll sell you rights to that, and you know, what's beyond that? What's the point? Unless um, you wanted the develop, develop designer developer to to you know continue to enhance things or whatever, um, but pr- probably very likely they felt that, you know, we'll publish it more again as it was and maybe we'll come up with one or two simple variants on our own. So, you know, fine. I don't see any real problem with that myself. But Okay. That's me. Okay.
moving along, played a game called Chronicle. It's a 2009 game by Z-Man Games. Uh, it's a trick-taking game. And uh, I would say if you're a fan of trick-taking games, this is a game worth checking out. Uh, I'm not a fan of trick-taking games. I don't think I've ever even owned a single one, to be honest. So that tells you just how little a fan I am. But that said, I happen to be generally good at them. You know, and not sometimes not the first play, right? Because they can be kind of finicky to pick up uh, strategy-wise. But I will say that, uh, you know, all of that said, this one had some relatively novel twists, which I kind of enjoyed. There's some evil cards that you basically never want, and you can't win if you have them. Uh, there's special powers on each card. So, you know, I think there was like 10 cards and three suites only. And, uh, you know, for instance, one of them just ends the round before anyone else left plays. And that kind of changes things up. And then there's wild cards that you can play at any time that have a unique power. Not as many of those. but uh, And then the other thing that's kind of different is there's this goal card. So you, you uh, for the round, you kind of turn one over and it says, you know, what they call allies, the cards that you play in front of you. Okay, maybe you need red this turn or you need anything but red, right? Or whatever it is, it kind of gives you a goal, something to focus on. It's not completely up to you as as maybe the leading player to, to choose from your hand, right? Okay. Uh, but I guess... The unfortunate part is, for as much as I really, really liked what was different about the game, and I don't think I can stress that part enough for me, like that I really, really did find this to be different for a trick-taking game, it still really felt very random to me. And I, I didn't see so much how the special powers did much more than add complexity, randomness, and otherwise drag out the length of the game. This was really a long game. I mean, yes, there was new players, but I've just I've never played a trick-taking game where I just felt like, it just felt so long. Um, now, part of that was because you, you played a three fame, and and it just happened that all of us had gotten two. So then the last player got three, and so there was just a lot of this um, catching up and stuff. But but even that, it was kind of like, well, to have like a four-way tie, again, you know, for all that went on and all that happened and stuff, it was like, really, I mean, really, did somebody play that much better that, it, you know, it didn't seem like there was reward. It was more, did you enjoy that? Uh, um, time playing, which I did, and if and as long as that's your point in playing a game like that, then absolutely, it's a it's maybe even an awesome game. I really enjoyed the process of playing it. It's just when we got to the end and kind of looked at why somebody won again, it was like, it, well, let's just put it this way: there was a point in the game where this ally card that I had in front of me passed around five or six times in a single round. I, I mean, it just just right chaotic all over the place okay oh i'm stealing that one from you oh no 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 you're not i'm taking that one from you okay well i'm playing this other one and now i end up you know well i've got a wild card and now the lowest cards win and you know it just yeah how how you follow through all of that and take a game like that serious enough that you um, get to a point where you know you feel like you are going to win because you're better than the other player i don't know it it's not worth it to me right i'm, I'm not doubting that there isn't a point in a fixed group where you could get to that. You know, you've got the same six buddies and you always play this game and you've got 10 games under your belt and, you know, because you card count and you, you, you know, you've seen every iteration, uh, maybe there's a little bit more to it, but yeah, it's, you know, what I will say is I, I think it's a game that's going to be better with less players. I think we played it with a, a few too many, uh, and you're getting less cards that way then. And so then there's a little less control with less players. There's more cards per person, but again, it sounds like I was kind of negative on the game, and that's just that's the I don't care for trick-taking games so much part coming out. I will say, as far as trick-taking games go, again, I probably would stress if you're like a huge fan of trick-taking games, I really think you should check this one out. I mean, I think this is in that one, this is in that category. You know, I said this kind of about Macau, right? 
I would kind of want it in my collection as a trick-taking fan just because it was different. Not because it's the best trick-taking game, not because it's the best game, not because it's one I'm going to go to or pull out all the time, but it's just got enough of a unique twist to it that, you know, it, it's interesting as a, you know, the art's also kind of neat. I think it's like done in Japan and, and such, but yeah. Yeah, so it's about all I have to say on that. That's Chronicle. Okay. And that, that moves us along to about where uh, where you had shown up, and uh, we played a couple of games together. Yes, we did. The first one being Valdora by uh, Michael Stott, or however you say his name. Shocked. Shocked. Rio Grande Games, 2009. You know, what did you think of this one, Rob? Your wife played too, right? So. Yes, yes, she did. Yeah. So what did and what did you think? What did your wife think of that? Uh, this was the first time for both of us with this game. And I was really kind of excited to see the whole book mechanism for it because uh, I know Africana's coming out. And I'm pretty excited to check that one out as soon as I get my grubby little hands on it. But uh, I don't know what to think about this game really because it's a it's one of those that I label as those color games. Mm-hmm. Now I'm I'm colorblind, so I do have trouble with certain colors. And I know where we were playing, it was really dim lighting yes and even though there was a window the natural lighting wasn't coming through very well so i I really kind of struggled with it It, it's not as bad as some games were i know we had briefly talked during the game about quirkle and a couple of other things but the the biggest problem and that's a little bit of a segue the biggest problem i have with these color games is i spend so much time concentrating on Mm -hmm. what colors are what that I really don't concentrate on the game, and sometimes I just don't enjoy it as much, and I make goofy mistakes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, no, 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 because I'm not colorblind. But okay. In, in general <laughs> but you blind. saw me. You yeah. saw me in action. I can understand what you're saying. So, you know, this game wasn't as, as bad as some other games, but it, it still had a little bit of, an, of that kind of element to it. Now, I think that if the lighting was a lot better in the room... I, I probably wouldn't have had that issue. And the, the colors, I really think of the little, there's these little gems that are scattered all across the board. The colors of these gems are fairly noticeable. At least uh, I can tell the difference of them if I, if I really look at them. So I think in the lighting, it would, it would be much better. In better lighting, it would be a much better experience. But overall, the, the game was interesting. Uh, it's something that probably needs a couple plays to really get a firm opinion on it. Yeah. Uh, well, I can say I've played it a couple of times and I have a firm opinion on it. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is that a nice little setup there? Yeah, which is, you know, not so much a fan. Yeah. Uh, you know, the thing I'll say about it, though, is, and it's, I don't know any way to say it other than, like, that I want to pat myself on the back for being able to say it. I really had fun playing the game, right? I really did. I mean, I haven't played it in probably a year or more. Yeah. I really had fun playing it with it. I mean, especially because of the company, you know, your wife and yeah. yourself included. And I mean, that's true of many games, right? I mean, you know, other games I've said that, you know, not, you know, a lot of any game experience is who you're playing with, you know, what, you know, you're laughing or you're having a good time or you're just otherwise having a good day. But to be able to separate that from the game and realize, okay, you know, you know, did I, did I really enjoy 
you know, not just the experience of being there and playing with others and playing the game, but you know, you know, sort of the the nuances of the game itself, right? Or as compared to a different game being there in its place, right? If I'm able to kind of separate these things, and yeah. I, you know, I feel like, uh, and I don't know at what point I was able to do that, but I feel like I'm now able to do that with games and and separate that out. And so Valdora was a game that you know, every now and again, if I play it, you know, I have fun, I enjoy, you know, the experience, but. The game itself, I just there's just nothing in it for me uh, that I think isn't better served by uh, some different game. And, and the game I'll say to, to be fully um, fair, which I think is a great comparison, is actually the new one by the same uh, author designer, I guess I should say, uh, which is Africana, right. um, which is similar in many aspects mechanically, but just so much better of a game, still uh, approachable, uh, I think by by newer uh, players. But you know you're going to do far better at it i think uh, as a, a more experienced gamer and i think there's more to offer a more experienced gamer but it has the book mechanics so that's the thing here is i mean really when you look at, at valdora valdora is a game where you pick up gems off of a road right different locations on a road you, you right. mine for silver you you leaf through books for tools and contracts tools is basically the ability to store gems and contracts are the ability to deliver gems that's it I mean, you know, and, and uh, you, when you need to fulfill a contract, you go to a set place on the board and you kind of rinse and repeat all of that. And so the, especially if you were to play this like two times in a row, I think you would realize how unexciting, uninspired, boring, you know, it, it really is little to no player interaction, a good amount of luck. You know, there's really nothing clever about the game at all. I mean, it's just very, very plain. Yeah, the uh, only real interaction between players is when you go into in the same space as them and you give them a coin. Yeah, oh, wow, that was exciting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the, the book mechanic, it, it's neat because it's different, but yeah. it's kind of stupid as implemented because, you know, and it actually happened in the game. Now I won, so, you know, who am I to complain? Of course. But it, 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 you know, it still bothers me that I I paid and for six flips and there was nothing that I was looking for. And, you know, then someone else goes and the first three things are all one, two, three, the three contracts they need. So, you know, I spend six and get zero. They spend three and get three, you know, or whatever it is. That That's ridiculously kind of random. And, you know, okay, I guess I could take anything. But then 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 I am just following, okay, I got this contract, so I'll go get a blue. Okay, I grabbed a purple contract, so I'll go get a purple, right? Yeah, now the game's playing me, right? So I, I don't care for that. I didn't. I don't find the one little clever part in the game good. I, I actually really find the scoring system goofy, even though it probably is the best part of the game because it's the part where you can, you know, look to a long-term strategy and try to go all silver or all gold or all these white combo ones or or, or diversification. So there's, I guess, there's four basic strategies, right? But, you know, well, the other thing is thematically it's a mess, right? And, I mean, gems are just lying around in the road. (laughs) Silver mines are open for anyone to just come in there and mine silver and take it away for free. You know, I don't know what the books are even supposed to represent. But, you know, and there was this thing a couple years back, right, 2009, where all of these games were having these little gems. And they were, you know, it kind of bothers me because, you know, I know, you know, my wife is crafty and stuff. And I know that these things have been around for years, right? Decade. Uh, fish tank supplies, right? You fill, fit, you know, aquariums with these things. You uh, fake plant pot fillers, you know, at the craft store. I mean, they're just cheap, 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 cheap things. And But they're yet they were passed off in this era and all these new games as like this high-end board game component. So, oh, look at these gems, you know. And they're really, I cannot stress how 
absolutely low cost it is to acquire those little gem things. I mean, far, far cheaper than wood cubes. Right. But I think, I mean, I myself, just because I wanted a certain color that I couldn't find at my local hobby store, you know, paid boards and bits, you know, for Rubium, for Nexus Ops back in the day, you know, I don't know what they were charging for a little bag. It was like five bucks or some insane thing for, for 10 of them or whatever, when um, the same $5 buys you, you know, a bucket full of a different color that didn't happen to be <laughs> yeah. the color I wanted, right? Right. But, but anyway, I you know I don't really hold that against the game. I was just kind of throwing it out there as like I've heard people say, oh, but it has such a nice, comp-, you know, no, there's now there's dozens of games with those little gems. And if you want a good game with those, you know, get Planet Steam. There's a crazy one um, that's nothing like Faldora, but um, even that had that those little little gems. So um, so yeah, you know, yeah, okay, maybe the components are good, right? The board is uh, okay. The the book is neat, but. I think it is the kind of game that people maybe love after the first play. It doesn't hold up so well after more. Th- this has kind of always been my opinion of the game, even though I do it. Like I said, I don't mind playing it again. But I would say now, especially that I've played Africana, and uh, I don't really want to get into that game so much because I want to play it more before I do. But at least off of initial impressions, so much more that that game has to offer. Better implementation of the book mechanic. Lots of other little neat you know, clever things that go, okay, uh, that's kind of neat how that works, right? And that's exactly the kind of stuff you want to see in a Euro game that I don't really get any of that from Valdora other than, you know, the component-wise. So um, for pickup and deliver, for a simple one, I, I still suggest Perry Rodan, right, which is a nice little two-player uh, yeah. Cosmos game. And for a more thematic one, you know, Merchant of Venus, which we, we talked about too. Uh, and, of course, Africana is, is kind of a more direct replacement, so... Yeah, I won uh, 168 to 144 to 101 to 98, so pretty good difference in scoring there too. But uh, oh yeah, different strategies that we all employed. So, I, and, and in fact, I think I've won all of my games. So there you go. I mean, just <laughs> <laughs> of course, just no. I'm just you know, you generally you'd say, oh, somebody wins if they're good at a game, they're gonna like the game. And I, I would, I'm saying right, you know, very point blank. I do not like this game, even though I think I've won every time I've played <laughs> or at least done very, very well, you know, almost won or whatever. Yeah. So. And one thing that was interesting too, was that the following day, my wife actually asked me, do we have that game with the gems actually interested in playing it? Sadly, I had to tell her no. No. Yeah. And I mean, so, you know, I don't know if, if you, you know, but beyond the color, you were probably too hung up on the colors to think much about the game, but um, yeah, there's very little strategy in it for me, at least that play. Once you figure out the different, you know, like I said, the four main long-term strategies, it, it kind of works out or it doesn't. You know, the book flips go a little more your way or a little not, or where even where gems just happen to be. You know, people randomly kind of, because there isn't even really movement points in the game. You just kind of go to one on this particular road, and, you know, there's the possibility that they just happen to go there and take the combo that would have saved you a turn, because now you got to go to two different spots, or you got to move through a city to to get the colors you needed. And, you know, I mean, it's, it doesn't feel like you're really having enough effect on how well you're doing. You know, and then I say that as somebody who wins, right? So it's, it's not re- rewarding, fulfilling, right? So, yeah. And again, I just think it's replaced by a better game by, by the same designer. And, and that's the way I see it. So, <laughs> So moving on, we played Manhattan Project, which I also won. Of course. <laughs> Sorry. Now, here's a game that I do like, despite the fact that I win 
a lot. But I shouldn't have... Well, I, maybe I would have still won, but I shouldn't have won this game because I, I should have been bombed and nobody bombed me. Everybody was playing too nice. And that was my fault. It was. It was. I, I you know, And I think you did that in our last game, too. I, I, had, I had one fight... I think I had the same fighter I started with and I had maybe two bombers or three bombers or something. And I, and I had only one... Um, a bill, one enrichment plant, and I was basically churning out the red ones because um, I've I've just felt in the because we played a five player game, so in a five player game you're only going to 45 points. I, I don't know this to be true. I mean, I played enough. I probably should have figured it out by now. But I, I've kind of always played for the red, and I just feel like the red is easier in the larger player counts because you don't waste time doing the uh, implosion test, which the blue requires and i guess that would have proven true if it weren't for the fact that i probably should have been bombed and my limited capacity to actually continue would have been totally diminished and what i was happy to see is a lot of espionage so a lot of uh three oh, yeah three first time players and uh there's a good amount of espionage that went on of using other people's buildings and that does come out more in the higher player counts because you know people get buildings you want and uh so seeing the interactivity there was neat, you know, seeing other people go and build bombs and and get the first choice and stuff besides just myself. And uh, I thought everybody kind of did a really great job as a first play. Um, So I was very happy. So Manhattan Project, I mean, again, my just quick summary on it, uh, there's a full review in a previous episode, so you can, you know, look that up, check that out. Uh, But basically just to say that as I continue to play the game, it is not diminished in even the slightest how much I enjoy this, this game. You know, and I, and I guess I wouldn't say it's increased either, but only because I have a very, very high opinion of the game already. So, you know, maybe uh, I think this could actually turn into to be a perfect ten for me, like one of my most favorite worker placement games. There's a, maybe maybe three of them that are in contention that I'm kind of trying to decide. I mean, it's you know, I, which is which is the one that's just the best for me. And Manhattan Project is definitely one of those, and and the most recent entry by far, uh, in terms of just really good thematic, high interaction between players, uh, worker placement game, very much enjoy it. And some clever new mechanics to it, too. So, I mean, just hits the mark on all fronts. You know, happy, too, that it's by a relatively unknown publisher with not really any other great big hits. So, you know, minion games, you know, good for them. Absolutely. That's certainly going to be paying more attention to their future releases because of this game. So that's, that's Manhattan Project. Okay. Went on to play uh, a game of Airlines Europe. Airlines Europe is, you know, actually, here's a game I lost, so. <laughs> no way. I, I don't did. believe it. I, I should have won. I made a mistake. You're telling um, tall tales. But hey, that's every game, right? You go, oh, I should have won because I did this thing wrong. Well, you know, then, yeah, we all made wrong decisions so i'm i'm the first to hate when people say that but i know but i know people just want to understand right what to do better next game so what this game is airlines europe is it's an alan r moon game yeah but it's kind of like a cross between um ticket to ride and acquire uh or at least that's how i see it i think and you know maybe a streamlined and improved union pacific is another way to define it um but i really really like this game it's um i find it fun with all player counts i mean i played it with two and three and uh and, and five this time it was a three-player game, so I think it is better with five because there's more interesting stuff on the board where airlines get blocked and uh, routes run out and stuff. But but basically it's maybe a little bit harder than Ticket to Ride just because there, you are kind of collecting stocks and stuff, but certainly in a way simpler than Acquire because there really isn't a money calculation aspect to it. I mean, you just kind of turn in 
things and, and, and place things. Um, and the money that you spend never really goes, you know, to a high number. But, you know, basically what you're doing is you're, you choose any airline of like, uh, you know, maybe nine or 10 of them to play on the board somewhere and you spend your own money as an investment. And then, you know, the money you spend. So if you spend $9, you move up the marker, the value of that company by nine. And then there's some other tricks to it in terms of, you know, special routes and stuff that you can do. But basically then you're looking to acquire stock and stock is, acqu- is acquired in more of a ticket to ride fashion where there's uh, a couple of them laid out in a row and then the, you can draw a blind off the top. And uh, then one of the actions you can do is, is play them. And you, that's one of the ways to get money and so forth. But, but basically it has that ticket to ride feel, but in just a way that's totally different experience to play because of this sort of very uh, streamlined, simple sort of stock, you know, game. So I think it's even more approachable than Acquire. Uh, I don't know that I would go to it before Ticket to Ride, but maybe if somebody didn't like train games and for some reason airline or, or stock appealed more, but I'd probably still go with Ticket to Ride first, but I think it's a perfect second game that's going to feel very different um, but still be easy to pick up, easy to teach, and play fairly well with different player counts. What I did wrong is there's this um, neat kind of advanced part of the game where you can trade in stock for this one, oh, it's the Union Pacific stock, or uh, I don't know what it's called, uh, Air Abacus, I think it is, in, in this one. And, and so ultimately this one scores a lot of points uh, you know, for having the majority stock. And what you're doing is you're looking at the ones that are kind of now as the game's progressed that are undervalued versus the ones that are never going anywhere and, and you know, what can I pitch? Or, hey, I, I have, you know, nine stock in this one and the next closest person has two, so I can afford to kind of ditch some of these and trade them in for this other one. And So needless to say, I had the most valuable airline and I had a majority of stock in it and I was a little too aggressive uh, because it's a three-player game. I found it's because you get points for first, second, third, fourth. I mean, you get points pretty much for any place that you have. So basically, if you have one stock in everything, you're going to score at least some points in everything. And uh, that usually works out well to try to try to have as many, uh, you know, a variety of stock and then just then go deep in, you know, one or two of them and, and really increase the value. Um, and so I just didn't because it was a lower player count. I've I've feel like it was more important than that type of game i didn't want to give up those uh ones and so what i did is i traded too many of my most valuable one thinking i was in a a commanding lead and i basically somebody stole that lead from me by you know just one share and that swayed five points so the you know the final score was 84 80 75 you know the the five points is what put them in the lead and and that was my mistake so I, i should have absolutely given up one of those ones that only scored me one point type of thing and but, you know, live and learn, right? It was a satisfying defeat, right? Because, okay. uh, you know, I, I, that's what you like seeing that, right? I could I could put my finger on, okay, you know, that was a, a bad choice I made, right? I, I, uh, I, I made a risk that I shouldn't have taken type of thing. So, But even otherwise, even, you know, yeah, okay, there's some randomness coming off the card deck as in Ticket to Ride and whatnot. But hmm. this one, you have some more options in what you do turn to turn. And, I, you know, I really don't. Don't find issue with that. Um, that's a, it's a fun game. It plays quick, uh, easy to teach. You know, plays good with a, a wide range of players. So uh, I very much re- recommend the game. Um, really love it as a as a gateway game in my collection. That's uh, Airline Zero. <laughs> And then uh, 
Yeah. You know, as the, as the evening was winding down, we uh, you know pulled out cash and guns. Cash and guns, of course, is the uh, party game, which is uh, well, I guess you could call it a nearly totally random game, but I don't know. It's just a game I always have fun with, so I'm not a party game fan at all. Speaking of games I don't own, I don't think I own a single party game. Uh, unless it's something my son enjoys, right? So, but this one, you know, basically, uh, do you know much about this game, Rob? I have never played it. Okay, well, I think everyone who wants to buy a party game should go buy this game, right? So if you are looking to buy a party game, buy this game, because it's really cool in terms of you have these foam orange guns, and really, you know, you kind of count to three, and you point the gun at somebody else, right? And it's meant to be played in, you know, like six players or so. I think that's about how many we played with. And you just kind of pick a, pick a person, and that's who you're, you're shooting. Look, well, let me back up. We're uh, bank robbers, right? We've uh, robbed the bank, you know, uh, it's kind of reservoir dogs type of thing, right? Now we've all come back to, you know, the the, the hideout or whatever, and we uh, empty the, the, the loot bag. And uh, maybe there's not enough loot to, to split. Or, you know, hey, you know, if I kill you, there's more money for me, right? And so you get everybody gets the same hand of cards. And uh, there's two bangs, you know, two bullets. Uh, one, you know, like uh, bang, bang, they call it. And then a bunch of clicks. And uh, you decide then, looking at the money and, and the, the value of the bills, you know, we, we don't have the ability to go back to the, in the, to the bank and have them, like, split up the cash, right? And we need smaller bills so we can divvy this up, right? So you divvy it up only based on the number of surviving players for that round. Um, and so there's some choice in it. And you decide, okay, I'm going to point at this person. And uh, you know you count to three and everybody points. And then based on how many guns are pointed at you, you have the ability to back down or stay in. So you know if like three people are pointing at you, you might go, uh, yeah, okay, guys, you know, you, you do what you got to do. Uh, I, don't, I don't need any part of that, right? And you back down. And you take some negative points for that, actually. Uh, but you don't get hurt. Uh, if you stay in... Then everybody kind of flips over their card, and maybe they shot you, maybe they didn't. Of course, if they shoot you, now you're out and you still don't get any money, and three hits and you're, you're dead. You, you can only take so much damage, right? Uh, but if everybody kind of bluffed, right, and they all, you know, click, 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 now you, you, you get to get a share of the money because, you know, you called their bluff. Um, so whoever, whoever's kind of left... Uh, the bang bang, by the way, is uh, beats any you know anything else. So you kind of uh, got the fast draw on them or whatever, and it doesn't matter so much what they played now. Uh, but that's really it for the for the basic game anyway. There's all sorts of expansions that add things, but then you divvy up the money, you kind of hide that, and then you go from there. So yeah, I, I mean it's it's kind of a there's a bluffing thing. There's a little bit of you know what's he thinking? Is he looking at me? Is he going to point at me? Do I point at him for revenge? Uh, is he going to you know now? Okay, he's pointing at me. I just you know shot at him last round. Maybe he's going to use his bang on me because you know he's mad I pointed at him. So now's a good time to back down. Or you could do a little bit of card counting. No, he shot two other people. I don't think he you know there's enough rounds left in the game. He's totally bluffing I'm, I'm staying in I'm, you know and and really at the end you just then tally your money and whoever's got the most money wins right I mean I got the most loot so that's that's what cash and guns is so okay it's you know it like I said in, in one way it's the most horribly random game ever but it, it it's back to it it achieves what it claims to do and and how it claims to do that and it's it's just a fun experience I, I mean I 
<laughs> I have played this game in public, but I would say I, it's at the borderline of my comfort level for games I'd play in public. Uh, it does look a little strange, uh, especially if you have the uh, European version, which actually has like black foam guns. So, uh, you know, you probably get shot by an off-duty police officer or something. I wouldn't recommend uh, bringing it on the plane the next time you go out of town. <laughs> yeah. As as the as the joke goes with the game, so. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a Yakuza expansion where you throw, like, ninja stars and you've got swords uh, for people next to you. There's a shotgun that uh, you aim between two, and there's some special abilities. And, and, and that's actually one of the reasons the, the first time I played the game, it was taught to me, and I didn't know and I hadn't looked into, like, that there is this all this extra stuff. Uh, and so judging the game just really based upon the base game, I had a little bit less of an opinion of it. But, I mean, I think especially because there's more there can be more to it but yet the base game is still fun um, as party games go you know if i were to look to add some of those to my collection i don't see how i couldn't own this one right i mean it's still not a game i rate all that high it's not a game i'm say all that thrilled with but if i if i needed to add party games to my collection this is not one i would even hesitate to acquire so that's cash and guns In a similar vein is a game called Shadowhunters, which we played afterwards. And I'll say I like it just a little bit more of Cash and, than Cash and Guns, and it's also, a, I view it as a party game, maybe a little less of one, because um, there's a little bit more control in it. And uh, I think it stands up to re- frequent, you know, playing it a little more frequently uh, versus Cash and Guns might. But Shadowhunters is, is just a, kind of the ultimate party game of bluffing and deduction, and uh, so what it is is, you know, it's uh, almost a little werewolf-like in a way, but, you know, where I don't so much care for that game, this one has a board and, you know, a little more that's happening. Well, there's hunters and there's shadows and then there's, you know, these neutral characters. And so you get a card and a little token that represents the card and, and you know who you are, um, but you're trying to basically figure out who your teammate is. You know, so let's say a five-player game, which is what we played. There'll be two hunters, two shadows, and one neutral uh, person. And you're trying to figure out who your teammate is and who your opponents are. And, you know, each person has kind of a little bit of a different win condition. But generally, you know, you're trying to kill the opposing side and, and the neutral ones usually have the funkier ones. But I want to kill, like, to say, uh, you know, I was I was uh, a shadow, so I wanted to kill the two hunters. Um, and how do you figure that out? Well, what you do is you roll dice on your turn, and there's different locations on the board, and they do different things. Um, and some give you cards that let you ask a question and you're trying to deduce from that question or from other things that other people have done, who different people are, you know, there's weapons. Um, ultimately there's basically hit points, which are then attacking people in your location, or maybe you get a gun where you can attack people in a different location. Um, and you're trying to whittle down their health for your opponent, you know, the ones you believe are the opponents and heal, you know, help yourselves or ones you think are your allies. And it, it just is really interesting kind of, deduction group deduction game and and or bluffing game there's a lot of bluffing that kind of goes in the game too where especially if you've played a bunch before you could go all right i i think i know who my you know okay so i was shadow right and i think i know who the other shadow player is but i'm going to go ahead and attack him and i'm going to do that because then i'm going to throw other players off right they're going to think that other person i know that they're a hunter and that they're you know going to be not attacking that person thinking they're an ally right uh, and then I'll switch later on, right? And so I'll only do a little bit of damage to them. 
you know, ideally you do that when you know the other player knows that you're also on their team, so they know, like, this is part of the bluff, because otherwise they'll just start attacking you, and now you've totally screwed up your bluff, right? Um, but there's that kind of meta thought to the process, right, of, you know, who do I want to attack? What do I want to do? What questions do I want to ask? There's also a point where you can reveal yourself and you get a special power. So, you know, do I think everybody knows who I am anyway? So what's the point in, in keeping secret, right? I'll just, you know, throw off the mask and here's who I am and bam, I've got the special power which I can now um, use. So, you know, I, again, I, I've played it over the years like Cash and Guns and, and other games and, and this is one that I've, uh, you know, again, I don't know if exactly I'd ever request it but i generally you know throw the thumbs up of yeah okay if you know you guys want to play it i've always enjoyed playing it uh, i've done reasonably well too i feel like you know it's pretty chaotic there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens but there's enough in the deduction and the bluffing that i you know i don't know i feel like i've i've had some value to the process i guess even where maybe maybe that hasn't always been the case so um, but again you know again as a, as a part of game this is one I would uh, definitely look to add to uh, to a collection. So uh, another good one. Okay. And then I just one last little game that we played just at the tail end uh, when I'm you know you're always like oh, I really should go and it's like no let's stay around for another quick game and that was Tsuro. How do you I don't even know how to say this one again. Tsuro. Tsuro. There you go. Um, yeah, so the game was Suro, uh, of recent uh, fame on uh, tabletop, right? And oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, they they did it on a couple episodes back. And again, you know, I guess for the ever occasional play, it's it's fun, it's quick, it's stupid, but I I, I, re- I should actually rate the game even lower than I am because it, it's really you have no control. You know, for for all the control you think you have, you really have no control. I mean, we played it with like six or seven or whatever it was. You really lose for almost no real reason. So, and there's really only one strategy. I mean, you 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 play initially to stay away from the edge, you know, more or less towards the center, but then ultimately away from others. Well, you know, of course that's pretty hard with a lot of players. You know, but it's it's fun. It's quick. It's kind of pointless. Uh, the thing about it though is it's similar enough to like Metro and Cable Car. That especially with the, in the case of Cable Car, which is a Queen game that I that I still own, I I would absolutely suggest that, right? And that's with a lot of these games. You know, if it's you've not not played a lot of games, you know, you'd play this game and go, oh, this is great, this is wonderful, or you know, um, you know Valdora even, right? But that's kind of where uh, I hope I provide a little bit of value there in terms of not just sharing my personal opinions, but guiding towards, you know, hey, look, there's a better version of some of the same mechanics in Valdora by the same designer, which is Africana, okay, with with Suro, there's a better version, similar enough anyway, that gives you some of the same features in this game, the same decision making, but is a better game, and I think that's Cable Car, right? So you're you're rotating tiles in uh, Cable Car, the same as here, but you're uh, just a, a lot more in control of what's going on, and even if you say that's a pointless game, which many do, there's a variant that's included with Cable Car where you uh, you you basically bid and buy stock on the different players. So it's kind of like st- taking a step back and going, okay, now I don't control any one pawn, but I'm kind of looking at the situation going, well, I think this one's going to be worth more, or I think this one's going to make it here, and you know, you're... you're um, uh, influencing the game that way. And so that's uh, what Cable Car has. is like two games in one box. It has this kind of lighter, 
better version to me of Soro, and then this more, uh, you know, I hate to, hate to say deeper, but we'll, we'll say more complex by comparison um, version, you know, as, as, an, as an extra option. So, so that's what I would rather play, and so therefore this one's a complete pass for me. But, uh, but it was still fun for, you know, a 10-minute quick game, you know. I did, I did almost, I did well. I think I was like the third to last one out or something like that, so. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, the one thing I would say about the game, maybe it's even better than Cable Car for this. I mean, if you really need a game that you can just throw down with anyone, and by that I mean like your, you know, your great, great uncle Scott, who's, you know, 85 years old. I mean, this is the game like that, right? I mean, because it's just... You know, you take a tile and you play it, and, and it's almost like, oh, I played it wrong, and I took myself out of the game. Oh, that sucks. Okay, you know, you guys continue, right? But generally, what's going to happen is you manipulate the tile in such a way that you try to basically run somebody else off the board, and you're almost always going to do that if you can. You know, I don't really see much reason why you wouldn't, unless it was going to put you in a, like a really, really bad situation, uh, like super close to someone else. But usually, if you can stay at least one, uh, one tile more away from everyone else than they are from everyone else, then you're going to win, you know, or otherwise get yourself into a, a corner, you know, again, maybe a little bit towards the center initially, but then into a corner off on your own. There's really just that one strategy, and it is like it kind of works out or it doesn't based on the tiles you get or how everyone else plays. And so, you know, the game plays you, uh, but that doesn't mean it wasn't, you know, it's not a, a quick, fun filler, we'll say. I just say, you know, if you're going to spend the money, buy Cable Car instead. Okay, so I've talked about another 13 games. That's what we like to call the Board Gamers Dozen. And uh, one of the things I like to do is take all 13 of those games and compare them against each other, uh, as I've done throughout the episode, in a more numerical fashion, so that I give a, sign, a, a rating between 1 and 10. To give you a idea, though, of, of how games rate, I do use the full set of 1 through 10, unlike, I think, a lot of people, especially with the BGG scale, where everything seems to rate closer to the range of like six through eight, uh, you know, with the with the occasional exception. So I guess with that in mind, you know, add two for anything under five and subtract one for anything over eight to sort of convert <laughs> to uh, to the typical score. But as you'll see, especially over time, as I add more, because I've only been doing this now as I relook at all the games for the podcast episodes. Hopefully you'll see uh, a lot better correlation between the way I've rated games and talked about them and the way I've rated and talked about other games so you can get a good feel for what it is I like, the type of games that I like, and so forth. So uh, here we go. So beginning with a 2 for the pre-release version of Gunship First Strike, 2012 Escape Pod Games. So a game that failed for me completely on the very items that attracted me so much to it in the first place. A 2.5 for Suro. 2004, a variety of publishers in fact, uh, a game I, I find too much a subset of better games such as Queen's Cable Car. A 3 for Mob Ties, 2011 Hostage Entertainment. I actually had fun with this one, though I was pretty well left out of it. Another game that probably takes itself too seriously for the party game I found it to be. A 3.25 for Valdora, 2009 Rio Grande Games forgettable to me if it weren't for the book mechanic, which just so happens to be in a much better game by the same designer called Africana. I recommend that instead. A 4 for Empires of the Void, 2012 Red Raven Games. 
not without flaws to me, and simply not good enough compared to what seems like a nearly endless supply of sci-fi and 4X titles these days, and even more on the horizon now. A 4.75 for Ground Floor 2012 Tasty Minstrel Games. A game that very much deserves its Kickstarter success, if only because anyone backing it could have played it first had they gone to the trouble. For me personally, though, the game length, unsatisfying scoring system, and all-out broken two-player game left me with a much more neutral view. A 6 for Chronicle 2009 Z-Man Games. Trick-taking with a twist. Possibly not the best trick-taking game ever, but one that fans of such games should certainly want to look into further. A 6.25 for Cash and Guns 2005 Repos Productions. What's not to love about a party game with phone weapons? As dripping with theme as party games can be, and yet with plenty of micro-expansions to add even more to the game and delve further. A 6.5 for Shadowhunters 2005 Z-Man Games, maybe best described as a party game for board gamers. I love the deduction elements in this one, and again, an expansion with even more great stuff. An 8.25 for Airlines Europe 2011 Rio Grande Games. Ticket to Ride meets Acquire, but yet with a unique, if not very approachable, feel of its own. An 8.5 for Zuleretta Warfelspiel, 2012 Abacus Spiel. Not just another Zuleretta game, perhaps the most I've ever liked a card or dice so-called ripoff of an original game. An 8.6 for Merchant of Venus, 1988, Avalon Hill, soon to also be published by FFG. Pick up and deliver and randomization done right in this well-themed classic. And, as I've mentioned before, a 9 for Manhattan Project 2012 Minion Games, still holding strong as one of my most favorite worker placement games ever. So, uh, yeah, that's the game roundup for me. Okay. Board Gamers dozen. <laughs> got the board gamers half dozen ish yeah so uh, there's a couple games that uh that i played in addition to the ones that we talked about uh at the little gaming event uh, mm-hmm. my wife and i played a couple games of hypor jaipur not quite sure how to say this one mm-hmm. and it, it, that's uh, a game right yeah, yeah i think game right makes it yeah game works or game works yes game works uh, GameWorks makes it. it. It's a fun little card game that also includes some little cardboard chit tokens, whatever you want to call them. Uh, it, it's actually a lot of fun. It's a quick game, and there, there's an interesting effect to it. Where, as much as I like this game, I can't say it's my favorite game, but although I, we I did recommend like it. it to a call-in, uh, we did listener. It, I, I found myself going through a interesting little experience where the game is played in three hands, rounds, mm-hmm. or whatnot. And whenever we we, we would get to the end of a, a round, it would be like, oh, we got to play again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it, 
that was kind of interesting where, you know, I, I really like the game, but I don't know, maybe I just wasn't in the mood for it. But the game's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a great two-player game. I highly recommend it. And the fact that it's card games and you get that little mechanic of, of dealing with the little cardboard Yeah, chits, and, I, and I think that's my... Fun. My uh, summary last time we talked about the game was more like, this is one that every time I'm looking at my uh, game shelf and, and going through a culling, this is like one of the first games I grab and go, oh yeah, this one's not going to make it. But, but I never cull games, generally don't cull games unless I play them again to, uh, right. to make sure. And so then I, then I play this one, and my wife kind of hates that uh, part because she's usually the guinea pig for it, right? I, I usually use the two players for it. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, but of course, since this is actually a two-player game, I'm not hurting myself there. Uh, so we end up playing it, and I go, oh, wow, yeah, this is just actually pretty good again. You know, I kind of like forget each time like how interesting some of the mechanics in the game are. So it keeps surviving to where, you know, I think, I think the next time I go through a culling, I'm just going to leave it on the shelf and stop gunning for it. I, I don't know why I keep feeling like I need to... Yeah, don't mess with Jaipur. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, maybe because I, I have heard, uh, there are some others I, that have said they didn't care for it so much, but... I don't know, it just works, uh, it's kind of different than other things I have, and again, it's two-player only, and it's, you know, a lot of times games made for two players play very, obviously play very well for two players, so mm-hmm. it's always nice to have a couple of fillers meant for two players around, oh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, good game. And it's got a very cool insert. Yep. So. Uh, like their other games as well. Another game that we wound up playing was Hanging Gardens. This is an interesting game. What it is is you have a number of cards that are uh, in... Uh, the, the cards are divided into six regions. So there's a line down the middle and then two uh, horizontal lines. And there's different shapes. And what you wind up doing is you have to uh, make little groupings of these shapes. Uh, if you make groups of three or more... Then you put a temple tile or temple token onto them, and then you can collect these little scoring cards. The gotcha with this is that these cards, of the six spaces on them, they won't have uh, shapes on every particular spot. They might only have, let's say, on the top two, so the bottom four are, uh, are, are blank. And the placement rule for this is that you can only place a shape on top of either another shape or on top of a blank spot on the card. You cannot place it on the table. So it creates a little bit of a interesting mechanic where you're trying to align cards and try to figure out how they can best fit. And then as, as you play, you're further expanding your game board, I guess, if you want to call it that. And, and it's a lot of fun. The, and you can play this on Yucata too, right? Yes, you can. Yeah, and I, I, for some reason I've I've uh, I've not yet tried this one. Maybe this will be one of those games where I do try it probably first there. I'll, I'll send you an invite for a game. It's actually a lot of fun. I really enjoy the game. There's certain mechanics to how the cards are scored or how the uh, scoring cards are handled. Yeah, and this it's uh, yeah for whatever reason this is one that I've just um, yeah because you said never you played. Read- because you read the rule book or something like that, right? I, I have. I mean, it, most most games I've never played, I've at least read the rules for. I, I you know, I, again, as a game explorer, obsessive 
Game Explorer, or Cult of the New kind of guy. I, I usually at least do that and try to make a decision. And so, um, and so I, I also keep notes on almost every game too. Um, so when I go back to it, you know, I, I can't remember and I don't want to have to read the rules again. So I, I write down things. And and this is one that I really, it's just odd because I, I like don't have any comments written on it. I, I'm not sure that I had ever read the rules before, but somehow it just never crossed my radar and, uh, until I think you had just mentioned it casually to me. And so I mm-hmm. I had read the rules on Yucata because they were posted there. It was definitely, um, the intriguing part was it, it, I was confused enough by reading them that I was like, okay, well, there must be something you know, <laughs> to this yeah. game then if, uh, you know, right? I mean, I didn't immediately grasp uh, exactly how it all worked just by reading it. But I, but I definitely, um, you know, and that's one of the nice things about Yucata, and that's, that's a, to do a long aside here but one of the problems i have with like uh, board game arena is if i haven't played a game it's not a good place to learn it right i mean i can't really have the rules out you know somebody else, it's live right so the other person's like what the heck are you being so slow for yeah it's like I'm, I'm How, however to... <laughs> on board game arena you can watch people true true yeah and maybe uh, read along try to figure out why they're doing what they're doing yeah maybe that's the right way to do it or but on yukata you kind of can do a training game too so you can say okay this is not for ratings and and it's not so much because I don't want to lose points, but more like it, I usually take that as a sign of inexperience. And, and, and too, you know, nobody kind of expects your turn to come back all that fast anyway. So at least I can kind of take my time to um, understand it as I see it. And a lot of times it makes more sense to me, you know, especially with, with uh, games such as that. Now, one interesting thing about this was that, so I introduced my wife to this game. We played it a couple times. And then I told her that it was on Yukata, and and she sent me some invites, and then promptly just stopped all of her games. She got so frustrated. The Yukata positioning of the cards is mm-hmm. maybe difficult for some people. Uh, with this game in particular, or you mean? Yeah, because just because of how you have to position the cards, because you, you get the card. And then you have you get buttons to rotate either mm. left or right. So, so maybe not the best uh, implementation. Well, I, I don't see how they could do it any differently without going to Java or something, because then you have to place it on top of your card somewhere. And how they delineate that is you get these little markers which are the top left corner of the card. Mm. So you know you put your mouse pointer over the little angle or okay i, I don't know what it's called is so this it sounds like angle... this is gonna work terribly on my ipad mm, no it might work okay because she was yeah. also playing it on of, her tablet a lot of zooming yeah because i mean that's the one thing i like about yukata is it really it's most of them are ipad friendly i think the only one i've run into is pergamon for some reason there's like this one part where you're putting the um displays together where it just doesn't register on the ipad when you try to drag like dragging you drag them into your display, which won't do it on the iPad. So, um, but pretty much all the other games I've tried, you know, which has got to be like two dozen different ones, uh, all play great there, which is yeah. kind of the main way I play it or take turns. So with Hanging Gardens, I really enjoy the game. It's a lot of fun. I don't know if it's the best thing to play for, at least for everybody to play on Yucata, but in person, it's a great game. And you definitely need a nice table to play on. <laughs> hmm. If you try to play on sofas or, oh, yeah, or beds yeah. or whatnot, this this will not fly because you like, need that like surface for the My carpet. son, when he tries to do a puzzle on the plush carpet. Also. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, why? What don't you understand about that? 
<laughs> hey, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, well, you you know, you kind of can do it, and then you just kind of get frustrated after a while. It's like more trouble than it's worth. So. Oh yeah. Um, so what else? So Manhattan Project played a couple games of that uh, outside of. Oh yeah, the yeah, you game told party. me. Yeah, it came, it, it came and, highly requested afterwards. Absolutely, and. Uh, uh, and you, actually, wouldn't have, you wouldn't immediately have thought um, she would have been a fan of that either. I think you had told, told oh, yeah. me you were kind of concerned that you were worried about bringing that one out. Yeah. You know, and we were kind of joking around where I was saying that, it, yeah, it's kind of similar to Stone Age. Yeah, which she, which she, which she hated. See, I, see, I knew see, you, that would, was, you had that told was me another, that. Yeah, that was another game that she likes to play and Yukata ruined. Oh. So Yukata is like, you know, you know, bad. there is one game. Uh, you know, I shouldn't say this because now someday I'll review this game negatively. <laughs> the only game that I think that was true for me of is Roll Through the Ages, because there is this one strategy, and I forget now what it is because it's been you know a year plus since I played online. But you know, like in chess, where there's a, there's that four uh, move. You know, that four you can start a game of chess and you can move four times and you can beat anyone if they don't yeah. know it. Right. And the Queens, I used to play chess all the time and know all these things. That's how old yeah, I am that I forget. It might be, but that sounds maybe right. But you win in four moves, and you know, always against inexperienced players. Well, you know, there, there's something very similar in Roll Through the Ages where you can basically just churn out wins. I mean, you know, you, you, you know, essentially, it's probably pre- predominantly against new and unexperienced players, but, the, you know, there's people with 982 wins to, to two losses, right? Because they only accept games with new players. And it, I just, it was one of the few games I just got so offended by the number of people that were playing that way and winning that way and always played that one strategy to, to where I really just felt the game was broken or, or the experience of playing it online was broken. So it, It's funny that you mentioned that because I had a game earlier today that... If I was to use one word to describe it, it would be unfair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I don't know. Where, it's just... I mean, I, I know the game pretty well, and, and I do okay. And it was just, I mean, oh, it was brutal. It yeah. was brutal. I had a, a good amount of uh, workers that I was placing. I was scoring pretty good. And every turn, I would get minus three points which means that the other person got three skulls which is odd I mean, yeah how and do you do that every turn the, that's the, the well the problem the problem with some of those you know online services they really need to do a better job of matching players uh i, I don't want to play uh you know if i'm just starting out on roll through the ages i don't want to play somebody that's played 900 times that doesn't make any sense uh you know ladder or no ladder right you know, that's why I, I always suggest buying the physical copy, right? But, you know, like play the game one time, maybe twice, just to see if mechanically it looks interesting. Um, but if you played more than that online and you're getting slaughtered or, you know, you're going to think it's all random or whatever, there's lots of games, like I said, that, you know, that I'll win a lot against. But, you know, I don't have control over who accepts the game and such. And uh, there's been times where I feel bad on the other side where I'm going, oh, they're going to they're gonna hate this game. But I also didn't feel like I was kind of exploiting anything. Where there is like this one, and I, again, I wish I remembered the details of, it, but there's this like like pseudo exploit in the game, and and that just kind of bothered me about it. But you know, yeah. I, I I don't know. I, again, I don't necessarily hold it against the game as much as I do playing it online. So, but yeah, I mean, I can see how that can happen for some people with some games. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, other than that, Valdora, which we talked about uh, in depth a little while ago. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I played a little bit of Magic. Like Magic, Magic the Gathering? Gathering? Yes, Magic the Gathering. And I actually tried to teach the wife how to play. That went over like a lead balloon. Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had the thought to, to do that with my wife with uh, Warhammer Invasion, and I, I kind of thought better of it. So I have had success with the semi-customizable, uh, or whatever you want to call it. You know, again, Summoner Wars, Blue Moon. My wife really likes Blue Moon, where you, you kind of play with different decks, but they're kind of pre-built, and you can do a little bit of deck building. Uh, you know, Summoner Wars, where you just kind of pick a couple of cards. So uh, that's that's as far as I've really gone. I mean, I've even found that I don't enjoy it so much. I just don't have the time to spend, yeah, uh, or the money, for that matter, uh, oh, yeah. pouring over it. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy playing Magic. I don't particularly like building my own decks. But I thought that she might yeah. like it, because... Uh, We've played quite a bit of Ascension and, you know, a couple other card games. So I figured, hey, I re- I why mean, not try yeah, the granddaddy of them all? C- CCGs are like MMOs for me. It's like I really get why other people play and enjoy them. But I I feel like after you've experienced them for a while, it's just more of the same. And, and you know, it's like the thrill is gone and it, it's just like grinding you know <laughs> you know that's more applicable to mmos but but even with the ccgs it's kind of like just going through the motions right like okay yeah there's another new batch of cards and you know i don't know you know I've, i don't it's just you know i've been through the motions of it and i there just it doesn't there's nothing new in that experience for me anymore yeah so that's that's why like again i like so i i've respect what other people love about them but i think i've as i mentioned i think in the last episode i've really just moved on from not just ccgs but even lcgs and other than the blue moon summoner wars kind of scenario i think uh, i'm i'm kind of just done with those other types of card games you know just for me personally yeah um, okay now now watch i'll play netrunner at uh, gen con and i'll be obviously like <laughs> yeah. buying, buying it like nuts or something but Darn it! You know, I guess it's possible the right game comes along, or Star Wars, or whatever. Um, but I doubt it. You know, I think you know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll get the base game, and you know, I'll play it a couple of times just to see what it's like, and 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 I'll certainly enjoy it. Um, but ultimately, I'll probably just move on to, to something else. So. Something bigger and better. Okay, and then uh, I got one game of Ticket to Ride in. It's been quite a while since I played it. It was fun, uh, enjoyable. Not much more to say about that. Ticket to ride is ticket to ride. Yep, that's right. America map. Woohoo. do a quick game list oh yeah 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 well uh let me start off with one then sure i i guess i i should mention it just because we've already been talking about it africana copycat africana that's on my list you can't use that <laughs> i'm not reading your list i've had no particular reason to go to uh his website the developer uh, designer has his own website with a lot of his games up on there 
you know, most of his games I've got physical copies of or I otherwise didn't care for in some cases. But, you know, uh, I thought, hey, you know, this is a be a neat way to try it out before I, you know, plunk down for a copy. Uh, I think you got to import it at this point. And I'm not that many. I mean, I'm, I, I think I'm I don't even think I finished a game of this yet, but it's it just again, you know, there's some some gamers out there that I think after a certain number of games, you just really get a feel for knowing what you're going to like and knowing quickly. And I have that feeling with this game. I just uh, every every turn I play this game, I just I go, wow, I just I really see why how this is going to be a great game. Many, many plays in. Um, so I'm just super excited to acquire a copy. I'm thinking I'm going to find a way before it even gets printed in the States to acquire one. You know, you, you move from spot to spot, sort of pick up and deliver fashion, but, uh, you know, there's this way that you build up cards that allow you to, to, to move more efficiently. You know, there's a little bit of set building in it. There's the book mechanic. There's just enough going on, but not so much that it's chaotic and you've lost sight of what you're trying to accomplish. And like I said earlier, to me, in every way, uh, the game I, I would have wanted Valdora to have been, but it themed differently makes more sense mechanically more elaborate really excited about the game so it's a game i've been lusting after even though i've actually tried it so okay is that it so you know that's all i really have for this week okay then uh my list is pretty small it's about three things uh also africana i'm really excited to check that out especially after playing valdora really curious to see how, how it goes, you know, especially after hearing you talk uh, very positively about the game. Just really want to check it out. Uh, there's one that I've had my eye on for a while. It's Rapa Nui. It's a card game from Cosmos, which, to my surprise, uh, Yukata just uh, added recently. So it's uh, a game that uh, I really want to try soon, also online. And then uh, Trahan. That's one that I think we yeah. talked about an episode. Or Trajan, or however you want to say it. I believe it's Trahan. Trahajan. It's but, T-R-A-J-A-N. That's what I'm calling it from now on. Okay. <laughs> Just spell it out. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah, I've just been lazy about that one, and, and I've yeah. not ordered it, uh, but I absolutely intend to, as as covered in our last episode. So. Absolutely. Um, and availability on it's been kind of Spotty. Spotty, yeah. As yeah. soon as some any retailer gets it, boom, it's gone yeah. instantly. I got I got to I got to be more Johnny on the spot with the uh with the orders, I guess, for some of these. Uh you know, I I did have another game I wanted to mention that I that I've been lusting over for quite some time. Um and I mentioned it cuz it's kind of a surprise for me, but Agricola, all creatures big and small. Okay. So this is like the filler version of Agricola for two players and only two players. And that's what's really neat, because, again, I mean, I mentioned I've been kind of looking for a couple lighter games, especially that I can just play with my wife if we have a little less time and such. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of, like, kind of semi-okay Agricola expansions. I mean, Dex Galore, and, I mean, I've I've probably already got more than I should have gotten. And, you know, it doesn't see as much play now, because I like, you know, Aura at Labora more, and... You know, I don't know, but you know, it's not like it's going anywhere anytime soon. But just the concept of a like a design just for two-player version, it was very intriguing to me. And it, it I guess, it, it focuses more on the animal mating <laughs> aspects of the game and you know stuff like that. So you're a breeder of horses and cows and sheep and pigs, I think. Uh, 
um, with the pastors and whatnot. So you still have the little game board and everything, but it's kind of a more of a one-on-one. And um, so yeah, it kind of has that. You know, my hope is actually that it is, you know, not sort of Zularetto-ish, but maybe like a little bit, you know, deeper than that. So it's kind of like a, you know, yeah, you got the light kind of, you know, maybe like the Zularetto Werfel Spiel game, and then you know maybe this is another level deeper um, as a as a good two-player, um, you know, say 30-minute filler. So one I'm very 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 anxious to see and I haven't seen really a lot of information I've I've had it um, on my pre-order list for a, a while here and I, I still don't see any kind of mention of release date so who knows maybe Gen Con but yeah those so those are those are the two for this week okay fantastic okay and that's it for game list this week to uh, listener comments. Yeah, listener feedback. Yeah, so we did get a a really uh, lengthy, um, you know, this one didn't come through email, but it actually came as a comment to our website. And so the first thing I wanted to mention was just a note to anybody who does comment on the website, because we have had some trouble with spammer, as, as most sites do. The first comment that you make has to be approved. Now, we don't care what it is, and we'll approve anything, right, positive or negative. And, it, and the website actually will indicate that and tell you and then kind of notify you and such. But but just to let you know, if you do make a lengthy post or whatever and you're kind of worried that you lost it, it's there, um, and we'll approve it, and, and then you'll see it. But more importantly, just to note that once you do that even once, then future ones where you put in the same email address, right, which isn't even visible to us, then they're automatically approved, right? Because that way we just know, you know, the system knows you're not a spammer. So we're not we're not trying to uh, silence any kind of comments or whatever that might be slightly critical. So, you know, say what you will, but just understand how that system works. But in any case, we got a really long comment, uh, you know, so long that, uh, that I, don't, I don't think I have the 30 minutes to read it. I'm only slightly exaggerating, but I really appreciate such thoughtful, lengthy commentary. And, I, and I've actually read it several times. Um, this is from a listener, Carl G. And so uh, really what I uh, direct everybody to read it for themselves, since it was posted publicly, just go to our website in the podcast section, click on episode 11, all things felled. Uh, there'll be a little comments link and you can see uh, Carl's resp- you know thoughts on, on the show. And uh, you know you can leave your own opinions or notes if you'd like to uh, there. So I'll just read a couple uh, excerpts from this then. If you want to hear more uh, of his comments, then uh, go to the website. So uh, here's what he says. He says, uh, hi, guys. Great podcast. Uh, I'm a big Feld fan, and so I really enjoyed the thoughtful analysis on uh, the various games. He's played Macau 19 times with 25 total other players and Castles of Burgundy seven times with five other players. He's won Macau 17 times, only lost twice. So good win-loss ratio. Castles, uh, he's won two and lost five. But more to the point, Macau is his favorite board game currently. And the first game I've liked as much as Settlers of Catan since first getting into the hobby. I mainly play with casual gamers, and so far out of the 25 I've taught this to, including eight high school kids, 
only one doesn't like it. I think the pain factor in this game is a bit overblown. Most games I play, I end with maximum negative nine points. My guess is that the control factor that is what some find painful. I think this is especially true for people that enjoy the worker placement genre. I will say that I'm newer to the hobby, only since about mid-2010, so take this opinion with a grain of salt. But I think certain games, many worker placement games alongside games like In the Year of the Dragon, are based around control. You can see what is coming and you can adjust and plan for it. So for me personally, again, I'm talking about Carl here, I really enjoy long-term planning, but I really enjoy making decisions on the fly and readjusting long-term plans to fit certain situations. I love contingency plans and making lemonade out of lemons. Castles of Burgundy, some some excerpts there. Initially, I was let down by this as uh, the game was compared to Macau, and I loved that game. Uh, like Jeff says in his podcast, Castles is nothing at all like Macau. I, I still can't see why people uh, are seeing any similarities. Unlike Macau, where you can just read the six cards as they come up each round, the sheer amount of information that you have to take in for all the various tiles is what is overwhelming about Castles of Burgundy. For me, also, Castles was harder to get my head around for some reason. Uh, and then he goes on to say, and I, I particularly like this excerpt, also, because the tiles that are used are the same in castles, the game can feel samey, except for the extra boards which help a lot, whereas in Macau, the randomness of the dice and the cards keep things feeling new. And I, you know, I think that's a great point of why there is a place for some randomness in Euro games to kind of change it up game to game. And uh, it is a valid uh, criticism maybe of castles that there isn't as as much, maybe the location of the tiles, but if you're not playing with different player boards, it, it maybe feels more samey than, than, than Macau could. So comparisons between the two, he goes into uh, some some depth then as to how he sees the differences. And then he just uh, lastly says, I want to say that I totally agree on the similarities between Macau and T-R-A-J-A-N. <laughs> <laughs> over over Macau in uh, in castles. Um, so he agreed with me there. Lastly, he kind of summarizes with his personal ranking of Feld games that he's played. And so he gives, uh, he ranks Macau the highest with a 10, Strasbourg with a 9, Castles with an 8, and uh, Spikerstadt with a 7, although he uh, has only played that one online. So uh, thanks us for the great podcast. So uh, thank you for the comments, the lengthy Absolutely. ones. Absolutely. Thanks, Carl. Uh, and, and all the depth. And of course, as I, as I said in the previous show, uh, even the, the Feld games that I didn't care for as much, I, I greatly respect. I understand why, and in fact, he does a perfect job of explaining uh, why he likes the game and why uh, others might like the game. So, so it's a nice alternative view you know, to, to some of the things I had said about that game. So uh, very interesting read. Check it out. Thanks for the feedback. And uh, certainly if, uh, if anyone else had any thoughts on, on uh, those comments or any other comments, you know, the website is another way to comment. We hadn't really mentioned that before, but besides emailing us and the voicemail and such, you can comment directly on the uh, website and the podcast post. So, I think that uh, about wraps up this show. Yeah, that wraps up episode number 12. So uh, be sure to check out our website, www.thisboardgamelife.com. You can also send us an email at contact at thisboardgamelife.com and please note that that could be fun and rewarding <laughs> yes uh, if you send us uh, uh, an mp3 and or an email right uh, also call our, our voicemail as an option 754-444-TVGL which is 754-444-8245 and, uh, and don't forget to join our BGG guild there's a link up at 
our website or uh, it's otherwise just under this board game life uh, in the BGG Guild section. Uh, as we noted earlier in the show, that will be a requirement for entering our contests. It's just another way to find you, identify you as a, a fan uh, and, and member of our little group here. Um, so do that once and then you'll be good for all the future contests. Uh, again, uh, for details on the contest we mentioned in this show, look earlier in the episode and uh, and good luck there and we look forward to hearing from everyone all right thanks for listening my name is rob i'll catch y'all next time and this is jeff thank you